Hey everybody, welcome to Sarah versus Everybody. And guys, I am so excited for this episode. This is the first interview on this podcast and I can't tell you how excited I am to speak with this guy. Chris Howe. For those of you who don't know who he is, Chris Howe is a public speaker. He speaks on addiction. He speaks on recovery. And this is probably one of the more interesting people you guys are ever going to hear me talk to just because this guy has a story you wouldn't believe. Um, I wanted to speak with him because there is something to be learned from everyone. And some of the best people that we can actually learn from are people who have lived their lives. They don't necessarily have a bunch of letters after their names. They don't have a bunch of degrees or designations, but they do have a lot of experience. The school of the hard knocks. So with that said, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been <laughs> looking forward to it. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah. So um, my first question is, how are you holding up with the, with the whole pandemic, the frequent shutdowns, all of that? Yeah, it's been it's been tough. Um, at, parts of it have been tough, but for the most part, um, at home, it's been good to you know spend time with the family. Uh, I've got a seven year old stepson at home that's now doing homeschooling, so like I'm involved with that. And um, my fiance's obviously not working right now too, so you know we're really taking full advantage of uh, the time together and the uh, time off of our regular everyday lives mm -hmm. um aside from that just like putting a lot of uh, a lot of time into um you know reading uh staying physically fit eating right um that sort of thing just staying on top of everything like that um but really just like embracing it and enjoying it because what, what else can we do what else can right? you really do at this yeah. point anyway mm -hmm. by the way your instagram is probably like one of my favorite things i've been following you guys for the past two years Aww. and uh <laughs> joe is probably one of my favorite girl crushes right now. Yeah. Like she's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. So you guys have been spending a lot of time, it seems, traveling, getting out into the world, and your lives actually look like the lives of two very creative people. There's a lot of, you can tell that you guys not only walk it, but you do, or talk it, but you do walk it. Like you mm -hmm. do live your lives in a way that's very, not only creative, but very active. So you're into Muay Thai, uh, Joe's a tattoo artist. Yeah. What else are you guys kind of getting up to when you're, just mulling about at home at home well it, the kid dictates what we do really <laughs> so we built a skateboard ramp in the backyard so we're nice. now you know i'm at 43 years old like skateboarding in my backyard on a half pipe with a seven-year-old and like breaking my bones doing that um Keeps but it's young. amazing yeah <laughs> You know, there's always music on in the house, so, uh, you know, the kid's learning how to play guitar, so I'm teaching him a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, just, like, playing records, like getting, you know, we're, we're really um, into, like, finding out what... Uh, so his name is Ezzy, so mm -hmm. what Ezzy likes, uh, likes to hear and why he likes to hear certain things. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, we're just we're trying to get to know what makes him tick, but mm -hmm. do it in a fun way. Yeah. Um, aside from that, like as much as we can do outside is, um, is, is like, you know, what we, what we choose every time. So walks with the dogs, bike rides, um, you know, go for runs. Yeah. Whatever, whatever we can get up to outside we do. Um, just because like we've been cooped up for so long, especially over this winter. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so with the whole music thing, I'm a huge music buff. Have you at least, have you tried to get him onto some of like classic rock? Have you tried to get him on some of the music from the nineties, my era? Yeah. Um, 
I was playing Black Sabbath records this morning and he was into it. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank God there's, yeah. there's hope for this generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's um yeah, he's interesting because he he doesn't like a specific genre. He just picks songs and he says, Yeah, this one's good. This cool. is I like this. That's cool music. And yeah. he doesn't tell me why he likes it or what he likes about it. He just it, it moves him in a way. Yeah. So yeah. Are you stuck in an era for music? For me it's the mid to late nineties. Every I don't care what anyone says, every single genre of music in the nineties was amazing, even country. Like it I can't name you a single genre that sucked. Well, country did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How could you? You did name it. <laughs> How could you? Yeah. How could you? Um, but like, yeah, like that was my, that's my time. Like even hip hop was, hip hop was amazing yeah, in the 90s. For sure. No, no brainer. Garage, grunge. I even liked a little bit, like I loved absolutely every single kind of music in mm. the 90s. Do you have like that period that you're kind of stuck in and you play like the same five, ten songs and that's just pretty much it? I don't. I mean, I can, I'll, I'll always fall back on punk music. Yeah. 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 Tales of our youth. Yeah. <laughs> I always, you always kind of have like those songs that kind of take you back. Like, do you have one of those is there any point when you kind of like realize that the music you were listening to were kind of like the perfect encapsulation of the time that you were in or the space you were in in that life? Like, what was that song? For me, it was the Pixies, Where's My Mind. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's tough. I couldn't, I couldn't name it, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I could. There's so many and there's so many. And when I listen to music, mm-hmm. I, I definitely get brought back to certain points in my life and certain times. Um, a lot of it for myself, though, um, brings me back to like a dark time. So yeah, it and and it might yeah it does it does um, capture that moment and that feeling and that um, that energy that was that I was feeling at the time. Um, but I couldn't yeah I couldn't put my finger on one song that would really be it for me yeah yeah well speaking of a dark time one of the the ways that i got introduced to you is i was introduced to you through a uh, rehab facility where you you had worked with them to do some public speaking Mm -hmm. and you were talking to them about addiction and recovery and i remember just seeing you and hearing your story and kind of going okay this is the kind of person who's lived a full life and and not only that but there were certain things that you were talking about that were just so relatable because not only had you experienced it and gone through it, but you'd come out on the other side of it and you seem to be fully intact. Yeah. Um, and I've known people who've died from like dealing with addiction. So it's, it's not, it doesn't seem like it didn't feel that it was an impossible process or it didn't feel impossible for somebody to go through it and then recover from it. Mm. So when you, what, if we were to start having that conversation about where it all began for you Mm -hmm. it always kind of goes back to when you were younger and it kind of goes back to childhood so what was what were some of your earliest memories of your childhood like um my childhood was different um at the time I thought it was quite normal but um you know there was a lot of stress anxiety um a lot of like uh, physical mental and uh, emotional abuse in my household. Um, so I come from a family that uh, that has always told me that, you know, what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. 
right? So um, basically, you know, don't let anyone in on our secrets, no matter how good or bad they are. Mm -hmm. um, it's nobody else's business. I've always been kind of told that and always make it look good on the outside. Right. Right. So um, and at home, like I said, things were often um, abusive and very volatile. So I didn't know. Um, I always I describe it as like a household where where I felt like I was walking on eggshells at all times. Mm -hmm. um, I was on guard always because I didn't know when the next um, kind of uh, outburst or explosion was going to happen with you know between my parents or between one of my parents and myself. Um, and it was it was strange to me um, something that would have been okay to do on Monday, you know was simply unacceptable on Wednesday. So I didn't know, I didn't know kind of like what the rules were, how I was supposed to act on any given day, it could change. So, um, yeah, it was a very, it was a strange household, um, that way. And, uh, I, I think the the biggest part to me though, was that like I was told and taught to keep secrets. Right. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was difficult, especially for a child. Like, how do you, you know, how do you make sense of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, when you talk about the volatility in your home life when you're growing up, can you, are you comfortable giving an example of a time when you're just kind of like, what the hell just happened? And it, and it just kind of stayed with you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's several, several instances, but, um, I mean, arguments with my parents would, would spark up out of nowhere. And, um, I know that there was a lot of pent up hostility between the two of them and, um, you know, I would see or hear like physical altercations and, and a lot of like yelling and, and really aggressive language between the two of them. Um, and I don't know if they knew that I was hearing this or that I was exposed to it, but like, you know, that would, that would pop up. Like, you know, it could be, it could be 10 at night when they thought I was asleep or it could be, you know, 10 in the morning uh, after breakfast and everybody's watching cartoons and then, you know, there's just a, an outburst and, you know, the, the whole mood of the household changes and all of a sudden, okay, where do we go? We don't feel comfortable here. This isn't like, yes, it's home, but we don't yeah. feel it's, it's a house, not a home sort of thing. Right. Like yeah. I, I wanted out of that situation because I, I really wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird growing up in a household where there's kind of like this weird undercurrent of you, of things just not being said and mm -hmm. just hostile, like you said, hostile, antagonistic, everyone just seems to be on edge. And it's like this thick thing, this, yeah. this layer of thick, hostile energy in the house and you can always feel it. Yeah. It never went away. And it was always like, everyone was always boiling, mm -hmm. ready to boil over. And yeah. then, and then, but you didn't know when that boil over would happen. Yeah. So, um, but like, yeah, that, that's that tense hostility in the air. Mm -hmm. It was a constant for sure. And what did that do to you? What, what did you find yourself just becoming hostile or did you find yourself kind of like trying to muscle through it or did you find yourself shrinking in the, in the presence of all of that? Yeah, I think I would, I would say that I found myself shrinking in the presence of it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was, uh, certainly not emotionally equipped at that age to, you know, to really know how to navigate, um, how I felt with other people's problems, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, like I was dealing with, you know, and I, and I was, I was kind of put in the middle of a lot of it too. And I didn't understand that. So I was, How so? um, you know, I was used as like somebody who, um, who, uh, one parent might ask for information on another parent, what they were doing on this day or that day. And, you know, putting me in a, in a place that, um, I had to pick a side or choose, 
almost like, Hey, who do you love more? Yeah. You know, if you, if you really love me, you'll tell me, you'll tell me what they were doing or who they were with or who did you see them with? And it's, uh, it, there was always, there was a, a, a heavy line of questioning always. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, and I was a child, so it was a, a very unfair to put a child in that place. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever remember if you had to kind of give the overall theme of your childhood in terms of like how you were feeling emotionally? I know that the environment was hostile. How are you feeling in that environment? Anxious. Just I had always anxious. An- high level of anxiety at all times. Very unsure of myself because I was unsure of my um, surroundings and my atmosphere or the atmosphere around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I was. I was. I was. Um, I don't think I, there was a, a, a strong bond, a strong enough bond created between myself and my parents to, to, to really feel that I was like nurtured in the way that I should have been. Yeah. Um, so I just always felt like an outsider inside. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are, I just happen to know these people and we're all living under the same roof. Kind yeah. Of thing. And yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, there were good times, but they were, they were few and far between and, you know, for, for the most part, it was a very, it just, it was a tense, it was a tense time yeah. in the house. Um, yeah. It, as a person who grew up in a tense and abusive household mm-hmm. herself, it's weird because you remember the bad times so vividly, but for some reason, those few good times, they mute it. So you end up kind of wondering, was it really that bad? Mm-hmm. Like that, that kind of gaslighting and, and second guessing yourself about how you, how your parents actually felt. So when you try to talk to them about it later on about your childhood, they bring up all these things, these positive things. And you're just kind of like, I do not remember this oh, that yeah. way at all. Absolutely. <laughs> so did you, yeah. so household was tense. You were constantly anxious. What was school like for you? It was a bit of an escape because I could be out of the house but I brought that anxiety with me everywhere I went. So because I had that, um, that, that volatility around me at home, I think I just thought, like, I think I downloaded a little bit of the, of the, 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 the stress and anxiety of my parents. And I thought that everybody else was just like that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was normal. I didn't know any different um, until I started to go to other people's houses. And, you know, I noticed a, I felt different in their houses and just walking into somebody's house I could or even you know cousins and uh, of mine like just walking into their households it was a it was a light it was a fun light atmosphere where I felt at home Um, school to me though like I mean I I was smaller than most of the kids my age I was um, not an athletic kid I wasn't um, I was kind of like the last kid to get picked for gym teams like when you're in gym class you know last kid like I I was the that was that kid um I didn't I met people uh so I made friends but I didn't keep friends very well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and do you think that was just because of the anxiousness were you kind of the please hang out with me please be friends with me or were you kind of like yeah I'm just gonna leave you off to the side over there I was um I, no, I really wanted for friends I, I did I wanted to feel included I wanted to feel part of something and I wanted to feel um, like I mattered, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't want anyone because I was I was always told that what happens at home stays at home. I was terrified that if anybody got too close to me, that they might find out a little more about me and what what's actually going on at home and how 
you know, they might find out some of my secrets and some of the things that I was ashamed of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's, that's why I was, you know, unconsciously, like, or subconsciously pushing people away. Like I, I wasn't, because uh, I did want that. I wanted the companionship. I wanted to, to feel uh, part of, mm -hmm. but I was unable to, to open up to mm -hmm. keep that person in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the thing that you mentioned is the feeling of shame. That it's, shame has a weird way of kind of aging children. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that when, when a child kind of feels very ashamed, they, it kind of makes them a little bit more aware of the world in a way that just they shouldn't be. Right. Do you remember the earliest feelings of the, that shame, that for earliest feeling of feeling yourself separate from your peers emotionally? For sure. Um, so there, there were several, several instances that, that I could probably pick out. But um, one, one major defining moment um, was when I was seven years old. Uh, I was sexually abused by uh, a, a caregiver of mine. And um, from that point on, everything changed. Like my, my outlook on the world, um, my, my, the level of trust I had with people just went out the door. There was none. Um, I was... I felt damaged. I felt ashamed. I felt um, that I couldn't, I couldn't share my, uh, I couldn't share my story with anybody. I was, I was trapped. Um, I was holding the secret, you know, and one other person knew. And I was too scared to tell anybody else because, you know, I was taught, I mean, this is the eighties. Like I, I was taught that, you know, to, to you're, 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 you're a male. So be a man. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, being taken advantage of like that, um, certainly didn't, uh, fall under the category of manly mm -hmm. to me. So I thought I would be laughed at. I thought I'd be ridiculed. I definitely thought I'd be judged. And, um, and, and yeah, I was terrified. I was terrified to be judged any more than I already was. Mm -hmm. And then that, you know, that, that common theme that I talked about, um, you know, not letting people know, not letting people in on your secrets. And, uh, you know, I just, I just went with that and I, I stuffed it down and I tried and, and tried to, to stuff it down hardly, you know, far enough that I could ignore it. But I mean, maybe for periods of time, but, um, it always reared its ugly head. And, you know, I was, it was starting to show itself in, in ways where I would become volatile. So I was starting to have outbursts on people. I was kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde uh, type of character um, where you didn't really know. You didn't really know which Chris you were going to get. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to be, I tried to be the best Chris that I could be, but you know, I, my emotions got the better of me. Yeah. Uh, like You're most at times war with yourself. Of yeah, course. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, male sexual abuse is one of those things where, um, there isn't a lot of spaces for men to actually talk about that. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that for some reason, despite the fact that we know you, th this didn't happen to you as a man. And even if it does happen to grown men, this happened to you as a boy, you are a, you were a child. Mm -hmm. um, so this idea that even at a young age, boys feel that they are, that manhood is forced on them, that there, there is no sense of boyhood, there is no sense of innocence to you. Um, so you have to preserve this idea of manhood, even at such a young age, that is going, that, that is definitely going to have a huge impact on, on who you are when something like that happens to you. Mm -hmm. So, um, the other thing that I kind of realized with 
with sexual abuse is that it doesn't it one it doesn't happen from strangers very often yeah and it usually doesn't happen only once was this a repeated thing or was it with just this one-time this person? this instance was um just once mm-hmm. um and i don't know why it wasn't a repeated thing i was glad that it wasn't but um i i I, it did repeat itself later in life for me, but um, but this this instance that we're talking about was just the one time, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I don't know what I would have done if I had to be uh, in fear of this person being left alone with me, um, you know, on a repeated basis, and and being you know feeling so vulnerable and so uh, taken advantage of like that. And uh, I, I don't I don't know if I could handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a one-time thing that somebody was left with me, and um, that was the only time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a that was it was enough to really damage me. But um, you know, like I said, I'm grateful that it wasn't some somebody that was constantly in my life and that I had to face on a regular basis. When a situation like that happens, when that horrific situation I'm not even or incident I'm not sure how you want to address it or call or Mm -hmm. what to call it but when something that terrible happens to you um I've even in my own life when I've dealt with my own trauma and something like that happens it's almost like it's a blur in the moment and then the moment afterward is the worst part do you remember the moments after it happened what was it like for you what was I don't you don't have to go into what it was like during that time unless you want to but what was it like when you kind of stood back and you processed what had just happened um yeah it was it was um I felt very very lonely um I felt very like violated of course um I also you know I was seven years old I didn't exactly know what had happened to me so I had a lot of questions of like okay is this I I think I know what happened here but is this sort of is it normal? Is it not normal? Does this happen to other people? Um, am I to trust anybody ever again? You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of questions Mm -hmm. and why me? There was a lot of the why me questions, you know? Um, and, and as I moved through life in, in those times, I started to, um, is there something about me? Did I, did I invite this did I invite the situation in some way that I don't know about? Is there something about me that's suggesting that that is okay? Uh, I just, yeah, questions and second guessing, um, a lot of mistrust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And anger. I was angry too, because like simply if I didn't exactly know what all of it meant, but I did know that, um, that I was, in uh that i had experienced complete loss of control yeah so it was a control thing the loss of control uh really really put me off as like okay i had i had no recourse i couldn't fight back i couldn't do anything am i a victim now am i somebody who is a an easy target i that was the thing like the the loss of control and the the feeling of like complete vulnerability without any any recourse was was a a hard thing for me to to deal with yeah yeah that is definitely one of the big things like that feeling of 
did I, am I a mark? Did mm -hmm. I do this? It is, what is it about me that singled me out for this? Right. Um, that is one of the more, the, the, the more difficult things that I have found to deal with when you experience some sort of tra experience a trauma like that. Yeah. Like the, the, the idea that they bypassed everyone else and came for you. Right. That was it. That, that's the, that's the, the identity shattering thing. What was your life like? What were you like after that when you were trying to figure out when you have that question in your mind of, did I do this? Did they single me out because of who I am or what I look like or whatever? What does that do to your identity? What does that do to your mindset? Uh, I think that it, it really, um, it made me like quite a fragile person where I didn't, I was, I was, um, I had zero confidence. Um, I, I didn't, I mean, again, I, I've said this a number of times, but the, 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 the lack of trust and, and, um, the feeling, the, those feelings of, um, you know, just having no control, uh, just really, really, it, it made me feel like less than, less than everybody else. Um, I didn't know if, I didn't know if this person was, this was a thing that they were doing to other people as well, but I didn't want to know, I guess. I didn't want to know. I just thought like, for some reason, I was the I was the target here, and I must. There must be something about me that that sets me aside. And now I'm, I'm like I thought I was a loser. Mm -hmm. I thought I was less than everybody else. I was worth less than, you know, the rest of the world mm -hmm. because of it. Yeah. And how did you kind of, and that kind of emotional and 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 that kind of injury to your identity and to your sense of self. What did, what was your life like after that? How did you interact with other children? How did you interact with your family? Um, I was withdrawn. Mm -hmm. I fell, I fell really into, well, interesting. We were talking about music and everything. Like I, I, I really got, um, dialed into music and I started listening to lyrics and I started listening to like, I, I have my headphones in a lot because I was very, very, uh, I was, a, that was, that was, nobody else could come in. Nobody, I didn't have to hear anybody else. I could close my eyes. I didn't have to see anybody else. It was just, that was my little world. Yeah. I love to live in my, um, my own little bubble. Mm -hmm. And I really, really, the other thing that I, I will say, um, my imagination got really exercised yeah. after that. I got very, um, imaginative and I started to put myself in, in these like, almost like I'd play a movie with me as the star you know, and, and I'd, I'd imagine myself as some, somebody living a different life. And yeah. I, so even, you know, at seven, eight years old, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an escape. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was doing, right? Looking for, how do I escape these feelings? How do I escape these emotions? Um, but I thought that was fun too. I was having fun with my imagination. I was having fun, you know, music was, was, uh, was taking me to a different place as well. So that was like, a, it was, it was things that were, healthy for me to do but at the time I didn't know but looking back now I could say yeah wow like what an avoidance skill like yeah. how you know I didn't even know it but I was trying to escape I was trying to escape reality at every chance I could yeah yeah do you uh and do you find that even now as an adult because I I know I I know what you're talking about. Like mm -hmm. there was a point where after I dealt with my own sets of like heartbreaks and traumas with dealing with my own family, 
most of my youth was with my headphones on, a hoodie on, yeah. looking down and not paying attention to anyone around me. And I and my imagination became so vivid. Mm-hmm. I found myself daydreaming in the middle of conversations. Do you find that you still kind of you have a hard time wrestling with fantasy and reality even as an adult? Because I do. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> do. Um, I can get carried away, and and oftentimes, I mean, I I think I look at it a little bit a little different today. I, I do a lot of meditation and that sort of thing. So like, that's my, that's my time to get away. That's my little escape and my, my, my time to ground myself. And, and within my meditation, I might, I'm, my imagination might take me, you know, to, to, to some other place. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, even in high school and, and, and afterwards, like I, I'd find myself just daydreaming, staring out a window yeah. for hours at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you're kind of disassociating like this, did anybody in your family kind of go, hey, what's going on here? Um, it was not like a question of like, how can we help? It was like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Um, why are you never happy? Like, I remember my mom used to remind me that, uh, I don't know why I remember this specific quote that one of my, another caregiver used to say uh, but she used to say, like, I don't know what's wrong with Chris. I could stand on my head and spit nickels, and he still wouldn't be happy. And that 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 was something that my mom reminded me of throughout my life. Yeah. Saying that, like, you know, I've never been happy. I've always, I'm always, like, I've always been pessimistic or, or uh, trying to avoid something. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, but, I mean, she didn't know what had gone on as well. So, like, had she known, maybe it might have been a little different. But um, I don't know. It, it was, uh, I don't know. I was, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, <laughs> it's okay. I, I just, I got, I, I, that just happened to me. I got a little taken away with. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. okay. So. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have these kind of moments, when you, when you, when something traumatic like that happens to you, when someone betrays your trust in such a profound way, mm-hmm that's when you get really, really sober about who's around you and you, and you have this moment of clarity of like, okay, something bad just happened. Who can I turn to? What was there just kind of an inherent understanding because of all the things that had happened in your household, because of all the secrets that mom and dad, you just couldn't, you just couldn't talk to them. It's just a no go. Was there just, was it just like in, in, inside of you to just know that these people are not going to understand. They're not going to get it. They're not going to care. They're not going to forgive me. Or was it you just kind of stepping back and going, you know, I can't put this on them. I think a bit of both. Um, Part of it, a big part of it was a self-preservation. Like I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be viewed as a victim. I didn't want other people to view me the same way as I I had now started to view myself. Right. Um, And I was, especially with my mother, um, she didn't ever really see things or allow me to see. She didn't see things the same way that I may have. Um, what do you mean? Like any, any time I'd have an idea, she would kind of squash it or she would say, no, 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 that's not the way it is. It's like this. Or, you know, um, so I think if I would have talked to somebody about it, it might've been downplayed or like, oh no, no, you, that person wouldn't have done that. You just, you're thinking, yeah, you, you, this is a story or this is you're thinking something else. It must not have been that. Like, yeah. um, so I don't I don't think that it would have been well received in the way that like that 
I needed it to be and, and where some compassion and, and empathy and, you know, like care would have been uh, given to mm-hmm. me. I think it would have been more of a either there would it would be met with anger or met with judgment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a fair point. Um, when you look back at that time and you kind of go, OK, this is probably not going to be well received, especially when you have that dynamic with your mother. Where was your dad during this time? He was uh, a lot of the a lot of my childhood. He was away on business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I remember him. I remember him coming and going a lot. Yeah. So he would be gone for a week and then come home with something for me. Yeah. It was always I remember him coming home with a present always. Yeah. And uh, and that was something that I I've always remembered of my dad. And I didn't know if that was like a, hey, here, I'm sorry that I wasn't here for you for the week, but mm-hmm. here's a thing. Yeah. Here's a, a, a material thing to make up for my absence as a, as a father for this week, you yeah. know? Um, but the, Transactional love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I, I, I don't, uh, I, have, I have good relationships with both my parents mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find, it, I find it a little difficult sometimes to talk about... Um, the way that they were like, I don't want to, I don't want to paint a picture like they were all bad. No, no. Uh, there's certainly, the, there were, there were good times and, and they, they, they did try, but they didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's, it's, it's hard because even as you get older, like, you, you know, when you're, you're young, you kind of go through that, what's, what's it called? The dark side of the moon where you go and you disappear from your parents and you're just like, I want to be as far away from you people as possible. And then you become an adult and they all start to kind of make sense. Yeah. But during that time when you were really impressionable and you're really young, I know for myself, whenever something bad happened to me or when I was dealing with my own set of issues, I looked my dad was always working, mm-hmm. but at the same time, my mother was always kind of around, but she was never, I never felt protected by her. Yeah. And I, la- and I dealt with a lot of resentment in my teenage years because of that feeling of just kind of being abandoned by that figure. Did you feel that way towards her? Or did you feel that way towards your father? Or did you just kind of have contempt for both of them? How did you feel when you were at that age? And I know things are great now, but how did you feel about them at that age when this traumatic incident had happened to you? You're forced to live with all these secrets. It's alienating you in school. And it doesn't seem like it's being recognized the sacrifices that you're making on behalf of keeping the family secrets as a child mm-hmm. in that system. How did you feel about both of them at that time? Um, that's tough. I mean... As I said, my dad was was coming and going quite often. So um, he was when he was there. He was kind of there for the fun stuff. He was there for so I I did I kind of. He wasn't he wasn't the one that was do- doling out punishment or anything like that. My mom, however, was very she was. Um, she was overprotective of us, mm-hmm. in a very strange way where it blew back on us so there was a lot of like there was a lot of um judgment and 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 um criticism from my mom um I felt like I couldn't do anything right I felt like I couldn't please her um and I tried like I did I I wanted to please her because 
you know, it's my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, I just felt like he was, I don't know. I mean, I had mixed feelings, I guess. He was fun. He drank a lot. Um, so like, you know, uh, I would, he was kind of the, the guy, like I'd, I'd, I'd kind of like hang out with him while he was like sitting around drinking with friends or like watching a hockey game or whatever. And it looked like fun to me. I thought he was a fun guy, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know him. I didn't have a, a close enough emotional bond to be like really part of that fun. Mm -hmm. So I felt like there was some separation there. Like I, I wasn't, he was my dad, but I didn't know like he, uh, he was there for certain things, but not, uh, like some of the the things that that really mattered the, the emotional things yeah. um and uh he was there for the, like a sports game or he was there for like you know a graduation or a, a something like that you know when when there was a celebration or um you know that kind of thing but it was never the the bond was different like yeah. i didn't feel very i didn't feel i didn't feel like i ever knew him yeah yeah like it, he was a he was a person that I, I knew from a distance, kind of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I know what you mean. My, uh, a friend of mine, she calls it fair weather parenting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you look at that relationship and you look at the time of your life when you're kind of transitioning from a child into, you know, teenagers and soon to adulthood, and you've had this kind of earth-shattering experience, mm-hmm. your identity, is, your sense of self is very fragile. Home is not safe. And on top of that, you're now contending with the fact that you have to figure out your pecking order in school, in, right. in, a, in, a, in a new ecosystem, and you're physically changing and evolving. Yeah. What did that sexual abuse do to you in terms of transitioning, helping you transition into a, an adult? And what did it do to you when it came to kind of shaping your personality, which later led to the addiction? Um, I think when... so. You know, that sort of like preteen, grade seven, grade eight, before you're in high school, that kind of time for me, uh, where people are starting to date and do, you know, like couple up and that sort of thing. I was, I was, I wanted that stuff, but I was, um, I didn't know, I didn't feel super comfortable with it. Like I was, I was a little bit nervous because of, um, I, I didn't know what that was really supposed to look like, mm-hmm. um, partly because of what had happened to me um also because I looked at my parents relationship and at that time they were they were like at the beginning of sort of a separation and um you know when they when they separated I was like going into grade nine and um you know yeah trying to navigate the whole like adolescent like you said pecking order and um, my mom got into a lot of trouble, uh, after they split up, she, she had a, she made some poor decisions and, and ended up, ended up in jail. Um, my dad ended up moving, uh, pretty much, well, part-time in down to the States in Arizona. Um, and, and so I, I was very, very ashamed of what had gone on, um, like with the sexual abuse stuff, tough to navigate, um, relationships that way. But also I was kind of contending with this, like, okay, everything is chaotic at home. My life is falling apart. Mom's not around. I can't tell anybody this because I don't want to be embarrassed and I'm not supposed to let people know about this. Dad's only around some time and I was starting to, I had to go live with my aunt for a while and um, 
that's a very tough time in life. Like you're, you're just a lot of new things. And so for myself, I began to lie. Um, I was hiding, I was hiding their stories as well as mine now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just was very, very, um, yeah, my, I started to, to, to fabricate stories about my home life. And instead of not talking about things, I started to talk about things as if it were, you know, sunshine and rainbows all the time. And, and then of course people eventually would find out the real story and, um, it, it became quite public, uh, what was going on between my, my mother and my father. So, um, I ended up then there again, feeling like, okay, now I'm found out. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've been lying about this thing. Everybody knows I'm a liar now. And, and, um, so it was tough for me to, to, to try to, you know, get, get close to somebody, um, or date or, you know, have a relationship that way just because I, I didn't feel, I felt like everybody looked at me, um, as somebody who, who was damaged and broken. Yeah. And because I, I viewed myself as that hundred percent, I thought for sure I'm useless. I'm damaged. I'm not worth anything. Um, and so why would anybody else want to be part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then it becomes like a big self-fulfilling prophecy of you think you're damaged, so you treat people like garbage. And yes. You, it, it, it's it's uh, really unfortunate because there's something, when you look at what abuse and trauma does to someone and it, what it does to someone very young, mm-hmm. even when you're telling me the story about what life was like for you, on one hand, it's very infantilizing because emotionally it stops your development when you don't feel comfortable interacting with other people in a healthy, normal way that's appropriate for your age. Right. But at the same time, it's very maturing in the fact that you actually feel responsible for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So one part of you can't grow and develop and then the other part of you is overdeveloped because you feel like you're supposed to be caretaking everyone else's secrets and guarding everyone else. Right. And you and part of you feels like you have to develop a persona that that protects everyone else while you're denying yourself the ability to grow. Right. Um, that double mind, what was that like to kind of deal with that and then deal with the, the fact that you're trying to transition to adulthood and what, what kind of, uh, while you were dealing with that inner chaos, what ended up resulting from it? What ended up kind of developing from that kind of turmoil in yeah. terms of your relationships with other people? Well, um, so yeah, relationships were, were, um, short lived, um, because I, I would, um, I would sab like it was self sabotage. I would I would sabotage relationships before I gave them a chance. How? Um, I'd I'd do something like I'd go and cheat because uh, I didn't feel like the person I didn't trust the person and I th- I'd think that they were doing that to me and I'd go and cheat or I'd you know I treat the p- the person poorly because I didn't think that I really deserved them um, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd force a, or I'd, I'd force arguments and, and that sort of thing because I was scared of, I was scared of intimacy. I was scared to get too close and like, not, not so much physical intimacy, but emotional in, intimacy. Mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, physically fine. Like, yeah, I'm, I, that, that was that part. Um, I could, um, I could use like a physical interaction as like, I could get, I could, I could let my imagination take over. I could get, that was a little bit of an escape for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it. I mean, of course I let, you know, it's, it, that was, that was okay. But, um, 
but it was the, the, the emotional stuff that I wouldn't, I just wouldn't let people get too close. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I'd throw a wrench in whatever good thing was happening to me because I thought that eventually something's going to go wrong and I don't want it to surprise me. I don't want to get caught off guard again. I don't want to be the one who loses control again. Mm -hmm. I want to be the one in control. So I'm in control of ruining this relationship. That makes yeah, perfect twist. sense. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> that makes right. perfect sense. Yeah. It's 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 crazy and it's chaotic, but it makes perfect sense. At yeah. least if I if I can't control my happy, I at least want to control my spiral, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's it, right? Like that's and I wouldn't have been able to 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 explain that at the time, but that's what was going on for sure. Yeah. Um and then the other thing too is like around that time, I mean, I in like alcohol was introduced. Mm-hmm. And so that changed my world as well. Um, that gave me the escape I had been looking for for so long. So I didn't have to rely on my imagination. I didn't have to rely on music. I, I could, I, you know, when I took my first drink, I, I, my first drink washed away all my insecurities, my fears, my emotions, my um, shame, whatever I'd been dealing with up until then. It was like, oh my goodness, like, I can just drink this liquid and that stuff is like lifted off me. So of course I want more of it. Um, the first time I drank, I, I drank in excess and I blacked out. Um, you know, uh, to me, like that was a defining moment in my life. I, I, I've never known how to drink like a, like quote unquote normal person. Um, mm -hmm. my entire life, I've always drank alcoholically. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because I drink for effect. I drink for the, for the escape and I drink for, um, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't sip a drink and think this tastes good. I mm -hmm. think I need more of this escape. Yeah. Um, but Fast, something hard and bright burning. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but something really interesting happened that, you know, I blacked out that first time I got drunk and I woke up the next day and, uh, you know, I was, I had people that were still around me and they were wanting to be around me again. They were inviting me to more parties. They were saying, you know, oh, you did some funny stuff last night. You were, you know, I never saw that side of you. Like you're, you're a pretty funny guy. You're a good guy. Like I've never heard you talk so much. Like mm -hmm. you, I thought you were this shy kid and here, you know, you were mixing with everybody and it was great. And, uh, of course I didn't remember anything, but I, I, that, that sense of belonging and that, um, that attention I was getting for it. Uh, I was going to take that because, mm -hmm. hey, if I if you can pay attention to me for something that doesn't have to do with what's the bad stuff that's going on, like pay attention to how much I'm drinking, pay attention to how, you know, funny or weird I can get when I'm drunk and 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 then I can deflect all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and then I also really, really, I mean, to have that escape in liquid form mm -hmm. to me, it just it was like this just totally makes sense. I don't have to try. I don't have to like think myself out of my own headspace. Mm -hmm. I can just like drink myself into oblivion. And I, that's my little, I, they were like little vacations every time I got drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Vacations from me. Yeah. A vacation from yourself. That mm -hmm. is. And the funny thing is there are people out there who have never experienced alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and they don't think that they do that in any other way. Right. Um, it's it's so funny because we're always trying to run away from ourselves and that's how we end up in most of our problems right so now you're going through puberty you have a new social circle people are really digging your new personality because you're actually showing them you yeah 
but you don't get to be around when you're showing them you. You're passed out. Yeah, I get <laughs> so, to hear about who I really am. That is it. That has got to be the weirdest feeling as yeah. well, because now you have this this idea of yourself, because you're not actually you don't get to experience yourself. You get to hear about yourself. So, did you ever feel that pressure to live up to the image of yourself that other people have? Yeah. And what did that do to your alcohol addiction? Well, ramped it up a hundred percent. I mean, of course, I'm gonna do more of what got me that attention and what what is giving people this this idea of me yeah um and i liked it like you know whether whether i somebody was upset with me or happy with me or laughing at me laughing with me whatever it was it was attention and i wasn't used to that Mm -hmm. um you know and and i was invited to places that i wouldn't have normally been Mm -hmm. uh invited to because you know i was a shy kid in the corner but now i was a kid in the mix i was you know um i don't want to say life of the party but like at the time, I felt like I was, or I mm-hmm. felt like, you know, I what people described to me the next day felt like I was the life <laughs> of the party. But Good time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, I rolled with it, and what it really became my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I thought that um, I had really, like, this is, this, is, this is what feels like home. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really have, like, you know, I, home didn't feel like home. Home was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, I was broken. But me under the influence was uh, accepted. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I went with that. I rolled with it. And, you know, so I drank more. Um, and, of course, like, you know, start experimenting with drugs, different circles of friends. Um, and, and, and so every time I would try a new drug, go to a different party or go to, you know, meet a new person, it was like, wow, my world is expanding and people mm-hmm. are starting to know who I am. I'm mm-hmm. starting to know people's names. And. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm accepted and part of, and like all those things that I was missing in my childhood are now like, coming to fruition. And it's all because of this like beautiful liquid. Yeah. You know, do you, do you remember the first, your, your first shot of alcohol versus the first time you did like a hard drug? Cause I remember the difference. Yes, very much. Very. Do you remember the feeling, uh, the first time you drank the versus the first time, like the first time you got completely obliviously obliviated um and then this first time you did like any kind of hard drugs like the first time i drank it was the best feeling ever yeah it was kind of like (laughs) it it was kind of like you remember you ever go to the dentist and they give you that gas that kind of takes you out of yourself right i felt like i was watching myself i felt like i was in the mix of everything but i wasn't i was standing back and watching and i couldn't feel anything it was wonderful so what was that feeling like for you the first time you did drugs and what was the first drug you did? I mean, the first drug, I, I mean, smoking weed was the first thing I, I, I probably experimented with. But the, like, as far as like, I don't know, real drugs, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> real drugs, but like, you know, uh, like cocaine for me was the, the thing that, you know, the first time, yeah. the first time I did coke, it was like, it, it was just, it became my like my girl, yeah. you know, it was like my, like, this is like, okay, I know. I. Do you remember I, that first high? Yeah. What was I, it like? I remember we were going, so I live on, I live near the, the Canada U S border mm-hmm. and we used to make runs across the border to the duty free once all the bars closed and the, and the, um, and the, or the liquor store and, bar, and beer store closed. We'd go to the duty free cause it was open. Yeah. So we'd go to the duty free buy turn around in Buffalo or Niagara Falls, New York, and then come back into Canada. And we've got an, a, another case of beer or a bottle of booze. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we were traveling in a car with a guy and he's like, oh shit, uh, I got a pocket full of blow and I'm not crossing the border with it. So we're all going to have to do this now. Oh God. <laughs> so, uh, and I was like, oh, okay. I think I was like 16. Um, and I, I just, you know, they were older, they were older kids. And, and, and I just, um, of course I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, like I can't, I can't be the only one. And, and if I didn't do it, what we'd cross the border with, you know, a pocket full of Coke. Like it just doesn't. So I said, okay, sure. Yeah. I'm in hundred yeah. percent. And it wouldn't matter what it was. I would have been in. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like, you want to do a train toot toot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, so, uh, yeah, I did it in my world. Like just, yeah, everything changed. I got, I got, I got more social. I got to, I, I, I felt things that I hadn't felt before. I actually, I mean, it was, it was, I was feeling, um, synthetic emotion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that to me was like, okay, I had been so long without feeling any emotion cause I was suppressing it all. Yeah. So like synthetic, I'll take it. Yeah. Right. I was. And so we did it, uh, got the beer or booze, whatever we're getting, um, turned around, came back into Canada. And, um, I remember going to a party and, and just, I started hounding the guy and I was like, Hey, you, you know, we didn't do all of it. Did we like, we, you, can you get more? Can we, you know? And, and I just, I was, a I was a hound for it the first time. Yeah. And so he, he got more, I probably paid him way too much money for it and, and <laughs> did like, you know, whatever, but like, Hey, I, I got what I wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and to me that that uh, like I said, that synthetic emotion was the big thing for me. Where where like okay, I, I feel things. Yeah, I feel things again, and I know they're not real, but like to me at the time they were. Yeah. Yeah. So contrast the night that you have your first hit of hard drugs. Yeah. And you're feeling amazing. What was it like waking up at home the next day? Oh, I didn't wake up at home. <laughs> I didn't know. No, I don't know that I even, I don't know when I, 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 I don't think I went to sleep until 10 AM the next day. And, and, uh, I think I, I might've woke up at three in the afternoon and, yeah. um, I felt like, um, well at that time I thought that I had an idea about like cocaine being something that like that only like street people did or something like that. Like I just, I thought like, Oh, is this me now? Like I did, I, I kind of felt a little bit ashamed of it, yeah. but I knew I loved how I, how I felt and, you know, and then I started to like talk to people a little bit more about it. And I mm -hmm. kind of liked like, um, I was with older kids and the kids my age weren't doing it then. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of like, I kind of like used it. I kind of like weirdly bragged about it. Like, yeah. Hey, I got a chance to do this. And like, yeah. it was the most amazing thing. And yeah. I hang out with these people and it was like a status thing for me. And then yeah. the more I found out about it, I'm like, you know, like uh, watching movies and yeah, seeing like... Yeah, I call like, it the Scarface drug. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But prior to that, I wasn't, I hadn't been interested in looking at media that would show that yeah. kind of thing. So like I started to look at it and then and it became romantic to me. Yeah. 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 So I, I started to like use it as a status symbol mm -hmm. and like something that I, I, I knew I could get my hands on and other people couldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was exciting. It was fun it was fast it was like you know I, it it allowed me to drink as much as I wanted to without completely blacking out so it it, it I got to be a little more part of like who 
everybody else saw when I was drunk, but yeah. I was still like, you know, somehow like, I don't know when you're drinking Present. and doing Coke, like you're, do, you're doing this balancing act of like, okay, I'm too drunk. Now I'll do a little bit of blow and now I'm too high. I got to drink more. And so I was like, <laughs> I was like enjoying sort of surfing that wave. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, to be young. I used to call it the Michelle Pfeiffer drug. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I saw it, it was in Scarface. And I remember how beautiful she looked. And she still was like doing her thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's it. Like it just, it never, it, cocaine never seemed like a dirty drug to me until you started seeing those dare ads later on. But sure. like for the most part, it was like something that was glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand that. I thought, yeah. I thought that like once I started to do it on a regular basis, I thought I... I started to see the ugly side of it, mm -hmm. but, um, and what was that like? Mm, depression, mm -hmm. uh, heightened anxiety that mm -hmm. I already had enough of. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, the come downs were way worse than, you know, I had remembered in, in years previous and, or, or weeks previous, whatever. Um, yeah, I started to, because I was doing like large amounts as well. What's a large amount? Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't, like, I would be, I would stay up for two, three days at a time sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So like, oh, I don't know. Depending on how many people I was, I was also the guy that was like, you know, a lot of times I was paying to have friends around me mm -hmm. by buying Coke. So mm -hmm. like I'd buy like, you know, I, I remember on like, I'd buy an eight ball and mm -hmm. then like four hours later I had to buy another one. Mm -hmm. And then four hours later it was like, okay, I need more. I need more because mm -hmm. like if I didn't, um, if I wasn't providing this thing to keep people around me, I wasn't, um, maybe I wasn't worthwhile to them. Yeah. And there so, goes that transactional love again. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. So, I mean, whatever, whatever amount I was taking in, I don't even know. I mean, like it, it would vary from, from, you know, binge to binge, but mm -hmm. like, yeah, I mean, a Friday night out looked like, you know, a Friday night out turned into like a Monday morning, mm -hmm. right? With no sleep. Wow. Yeah. And then the way that that started to happen on a Tuesday and yeah. then I, it would end on a Thursday or, yeah. you know. And then at this point, you're, how is your, the rest of your life kind of functioning? Are you still able to go to work? Are you still kind of maintaining other aspects of your life or are you just done? Listen, I was in high school. Oh yeah. This wasn't, this wasn't like, this was oh, high okay. school. Okay. So you had plenty yeah. of time. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you're in high school at this point, so you're not, you don't have like a part-time job or anything. You're not really worried about school or grades or anything. I mean, um, I was definitely like dabbling in like with like selling drugs mm -hmm. um, as my part-time job. Um, <laughs> Entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, so I had, I you know, I had, I had a little bit of like expendable cash that I could sort of play with. Mm -hmm. Uh, school wasn't a big thing for me. Like I, I was there, but I wasn't in class too much. Like I was there to hang out and there to like, you know, sell something to somebody or like go get high with somebody like in the field next to the school. Like it was, it, everything was a party to me. It yeah. wasn't like, um, and I, and I also at the time, like I, I, my father was quite successful. Um, and, um, when when he was so he I mentioned that he was living in Arizona um, and he kind of was like back and forth to Canada and the States. Um, but he one of the things that he did is like, you know, he kind of threw money sometimes at a problem or, you know, not even a problem. But like for me, 
that was that was like I, I I can remember staying with my aunt and and him giving my aunt like chunks of money to give me to like okay make sure he's okay and he has you know he can have money to buy lunch at school and this and that and you know and, and it was it was a enough money that I could like have fun with too because mm. um, I don't think he at the time he was doing well for himself and he didn't really think like oh you know a kid only needs twenty bucks a week to get by like mm-hmm. it was like okay here I have a chunk of money mm-hmm. and so I was leveraging that money mm-hmm. you know um so yeah school so school it was more like you know there was it was more of a party and a bit of like you know I could I could make some more money at school mm-hmm. and then the weekends were the big thing yeah mm-hmm. so you were the party guy at what point did you become kind of Chris the playboy like did you have that moment when you started to kind of grow into yourself I remember you saying that when you were a child you were very small and you were very frail when puberty hit, did you have the good puberty that all of us hope uh-uh. for, or no? No, <laughs> were no. You still the awkward guy. I was still like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, I got enough attention from from females that, like, you know, I I, I did all right that way, I guess. I mean, <laughs> and I was around people. I think a lot of people were just excited to be around um, certain parties that. I could bring them to mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So that was more where the, like that status or attention came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, yeah, I wouldn't say that I grew into anything that was like, ex- like anything special. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and especially me drunk or high, like I've seen the pictures, I've seen the videos. It's not good. You're like one eye open. Oh, and like- <laughs> that's exactly it. Everyone's like, why does your left eye always go shut? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so now that you're kind of, moving away from like the young you the young vulnerable you what's the new chris like when he's on drugs and he's and he's basically an alcoholic what are you yeah. you're you're fun you're outgoing but what are you like when the party's not going on if you oh. were frightened and a scared kid before what were you like what are you like now even more but oh. like when i'm by myself so when i'm out in public mm-hmm. i'm showing i'm showing you that i'm in control uh, not i shouldn't say in control but like I've got it together. Yeah. Um, I'm crazy and I'll, I'll drink till, you know, I'll out, like I'll drink anybody on the table. I'll black out. You, I'll do something stupid. You'll, I'll wake up in a different city. I'll have a good story to tell or whatever. But, um, you know, when I was by myself, I hated, I hated me. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't, um, yeah. Like I think that I thought it's hard to say because I was so fucked up, but I, I mean, I thought I was quite charismatic. Yeah. I thought I was like, you know, I thought I was, I I would be told by people like, you're a good guy, you're a good person. You, But I don't know if that was because like I was providing something or I was, you know, or if like, like I said, with um, that synthetic emotion running through me, like, I, you know, I was like, I cared a little bit more about people than I actually did sober cared mm-hmm. a little bit more about myself than I did when I was sober. Mm-hmm. When I was sober, I was a, like, it was a roller coaster. So I was, I was, I was great. I loved life. I loved being around people when I was high, when I was drunk, I, you know, I had everything I wanted mm-hmm. to make me happy. Mm-hmm. And then when that party stopped, I was like, okay, now I'm alone by myself. I'm with my own thoughts and feelings. And I, you know, I can't shut my brain off. I can't stop thinking about the past. I can't stop worrying about the future. Um, I don't know what, I don't know who I am. I've like, I've, I've created this facade of like who Chris is meant to be or who, who I want you to think I am. Or maybe I've, 
I've just sort of like fallen into this category of like, you know, party guy Mm -hmm. and fun person and like, you know, somebody who doesn't kind of give a shit about authority or, or, you know, school and that just all this stuff, right? Like I, I would, that was, I liked that idea, but truly, you know, I didn't actually think that stuff when I was alone by myself with like when I wasn't under the influence. What did you think? I thought it was a failure. I thought it was a fuck up. I thought I was um, a fake, mm-hmm. like for sure a fake. Like I thought I, I, I felt like um, a fraud, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then I also, I would sit with like, fuck, like am I, now, am I buying my friends? Yeah. Am I like, am I using substances or like using doors that I could open that somebody else may not have been to my advantage? And is that the only reason why people are around me? Like I just thought, yeah, I didn't Did think. Did you care? No. Yeah. I mean, I cared when I was sober. I cared. Yeah. I cared. Um, I cared enough to be like shame, ashamed of it. Yeah. But I didn't want to stop it. Yeah. I didn't care enough to stop. Yeah. Or to change. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then and then shortly after that, I mean, I, I started to notice that like my my this idea of who Chris the party animal is isn't really what everybody what I thought everybody thought I was Hmm. because I started to notice people creating a little bit of distance between so I was taking things to a next level yeah how Uh, so well like I mean I started to um I started like using drugs like with like I became an IV user so Mm -hmm. I was using needles Mm -hmm. people that scared a lot of people away Mm -hmm. people would hear stories about it Mm -hmm. I was like um you know I I was I was I'd I'd hear about parties that I would have normally been invited, <clears throat> invited to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I was unaware of them until they were over. Yeah. Right. So I wasn't invited purposefully. Um, or, you know, I, I can, I can really remember like certain groups of my friends being like, dude, what, get your, get your shit together, man. Like what, what's wrong with you? Like you're annoying now. Mm-hmm. Like people started to stand up to me and be like, no, like, this isn't cool anymore. Like you're, what was funny two years ago isn't really funny to us anymore. And you're a little bit obnoxious. And like, you, you know, you, I think people at that time were gearing up for, you know, college, university, that sort of thing. And they're maybe taking their, their school a little more seriously than uh, years previous, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like grade nine, grade 10, like fun, like grade 11, like, you know, yeah, it, it meant something to them now. And then I was just kind of this, this guy, like, you know, fucking up, not giving a shit about anything mm-hmm. or anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just became a hindrance to, to people's social circles. Yeah. And so I, and I felt that I felt it and I, and I started to be, it put me back into the place of, um, I, I would picture myself in that lineup of school, uh, school kids at gym class when they were like, you know, I'll take Johnny, I'll take Susie, I'll take Jim. And then like, I'm me and, Bobby are the last the last two standing and they take Bobby before me yeah right I felt like that was happening again um my idea um with that was to um you know I didn't know how to remedy the situation so I ended up um having an opportunity to move so I thought perfect um I had an opportunity to move to New Zealand at 17 years old so I dropped out of high school, moved out there for a little while, and I thought, perfect, I can reinvent myself. I can be a new Chris. I don't have to be Chris the 
alcoholic, a drug addict, or a party animal, or whatever. I don't live up to anything. I can go with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. I can reinvent myself. I can be whoever I want to be. Maybe I can be who I really am. But I didn't know who I really was, and I brought all my baggage with me. Mm-hmm. So I went, you know, across the world to be a different person and to to kind of, I don't know. I, the idea was to to recover a little bit, I guess, you know. Um, and uh, I found a group of people that were exactly like my friends at home. Um, I, I started fucking up out there. Um, it was much of the same. And so I didn't last too long out there. I came back home again, feeling like a bit of a failure. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, like a coming back, like a dog with his tail between his legs almost, you know? Um, you know, I went out there and, and, and I thought people were, I thought people would be a little jealous, like, oh, wow, he gets this great opportunity. And, and of course in like, in in my form, like I went, I went out there and I screwed it up, mm-hmm. right? That's just, that's what people would expect of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened. And I, I wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to, I wanted to show the people around me. And I think myself too, that I, I wasn't um, an alcoholic and I wasn't a drug addict. Because mm-hmm. like, I was, those terms were floating around in my head. Nobody had really said that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they were floating around in my head and I didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the, um, I wanted to be the, like the party guy, not the alcoholic. Yeah. So like I, 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 and it still kind of baffles me, right? Like this, this, this party, party person Mm -hmm. is celebrated and they're like, yeah, he's here. She's here. Like, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Like, you know, if you're like the life of the party, you're the person that everybody wants to be around. But all of a sudden, if you take it one step further, you cross that line you become the alcoholic and you're shunned. Yeah. And you are like, or the drug addict and you're like, oh no, no, he's, yeah, he's not welcome here now. Yeah. Um, so I started to, those, those terms started to roll around in my head and I started to sort of view myself as like, you know, I would never admit it to anybody, but I think I started to really, um, think of myself as like, I knew I was dependent on it. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I was starting to at least identify myself as an alcoholic, not outwardly, but I knew that I was. Ooh, and how did that help with the identity crisis? Yeah, it didn't at all. I mean, it was just like, I, I didn't know. So my, my idea with that was if I make enough jokes about myself, if I put myself down in front of people, if I, I, if I say these worst things in front of people, um, which, which I eventually started to do, Mm -hmm. Then I'm taking the power away from you because you can't tell you can't call me an alcoholic. You can't call me a fuck up because I've already said it all. It's like Eminem and Eight Mile. Um, I haven't seen it. No, you haven't seen it. No, he has that scene where he gets on stage and all the things that they were gonna say about him, how he's white trash and his mom's a whore and all of this stuff. He just says it, so you can't say anything about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I did it first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I did it first. <laughs> um, take that, Eminem. Yeah, take yeah. that. Um, when you when you look at that that entire paradigm of trying to change, mm-hmm. knowing that you have a problem and trying to change, um, I think a lot of people get stuck on that because there's a part of you that you're getting a secondary gain from having your issues from your childhood that you haven't addressed, which kind of fuel your addiction because you can say, well, it was because of this that I'm like this. Right. So it's not directly you. Mm-hmm. And then also, if you're looking for an identity and you're the party guy, the question then becomes, who do I become when I fix this problem? If I fix this problem, who am I going to be? Yeah, exactly. So 
how do you, so when did you get to that point where you were comfortable with the concept of, you know, I think I might have a problem. I think I might need to voice it. And I think, and the hard thing is, is based on what you've described about your relationships with everybody else, there was a lot of codependency going on. Mm -hmm. You're looking at your life and you're kind of going, okay, I have some things that I got to fix about myself, but I'm going to be left with a gaping hole in terms of my identity and my personality. Mm -hmm. What was more frightening when it came to the idea that you might need help or you might need to recover? Was it the, was it the possibility of losing your identity, quote unquote, or was it the fact that fixing this and undoing the damage that you've done to yourself and maybe to other people, that was going to have to be something you were going to have to face. You couldn't run anymore. Um, I think a bit of both as well like i i I think that i think that um it's hard it's hard it's hard to answer that one really um if i fixed what was going on or if i took away the the substance abuse and the you know i i was i was terrified to be left with like you said that like that whole of okay, like then, then who am I, mm-hmm. who am I and, and what, what am I about? And like, now I actually have to face some of those things that I've been avoiding and this, and these substances have been helping me avoid. So, um, I was, and, and also, I mean, there was still people around me that I wanted to keep around me. And, um, I felt like that hinged on, keeping the substances there too so like if i if i if i were to choose to sober up then you know the fear would be that like nobody would want to be around me i would be this i would go back i would kind of regress to seven-year-old frightened scared abused vulnerable um empty chris Mm -hmm. and um and all these like the idea that i because there was a heyday for me and that idea i i stayed in that kind of mentally i stayed in that heyday of like you know life of the party and and people accepting and not judging yeah um i felt like if i could just change one thing about me i might be that person again so i i wanted that again yeah i wasn't prepared to get rid of like i i i wanted to chase after that thing that i once had yeah um yeah, I'm not sure if that's the right the right way to answer that question. Well, but, no, it's it's yeah. it's fine. It's just it's honest, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the other thing that I I think that I that I've hear in the story and what you're telling me about your experiences and with your life is that because of the abuse, because of that sexual abuse, um, I believe you said there was a second time that something like that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't got to that, but we'll get to that in a second. There is there is an element of that kind of rebellion that you go through when something traumatic happens to you. And I've even experienced it myself of, I need my, my mentor, she calls it witness me. Mm -hmm. This idea that you're in pain and you need to see, everybody needs to see it in some way, shape or form. And if you heal it, no one will know that a crime happened here. No one will know that something bad happened here yeah. because at least with bad behavior, people are going to look at you and go, what's going on with this kid? What, what happened to his parents? What's going on with him? Wait, hold on, hold on, let's stop this. What's your home life like? Right. 
at least bad behavior forces people to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Good behavior forces pe tends to force people to look at your parents and go, good job. Yeah. And there's a part of you that just wants to deny them that. There's a part of you that wants to rebel against that and wants everyone in your own way while you're kind of hiding your secrets and hiding your feelings. You want someone to ask you what happened here and you mm -hmm. don't want to, but you, you'll never tell them, but you want them to ask. You want them to look at the people in your life with suspicion, like what did you do to him? Right. Um, did any of that factor into you not wanting to get clean as well? Because that whole thing of if I get clean, no one's going to know what happened to me. There won't be a public display of the dysfunction that I grew up in. Yeah. I think to a point, um, I think that was there. I don't know that I was super conscious of it, mm -hmm. but I, I, I would, I enjoyed, I enjoyed people looking at me and, and I mean, not that I enjoyed it, but I, I, I kind of got off on, on that. Like, yeah, what must've happened? Dude? Like, mm -hmm. you, what, like what brought you this far into this shit? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what are you running from? What do you, yeah, like, that you do, you, it's almost like a, a strange cry for help. Like you're, yeah. you, nobody's asked you before. So like, if you keep acting out, maybe somebody will at least say, yeah, there's, did something happen or are mm -hmm. you okay? And yeah, I wasn't getting that really from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I was getting like, I, I had, the, I had an idea that that might've been sort of the question or like the, um, like I, I maybe, I knew that people were wondering like, how come he is to this level and everybody else is not? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there was something too about that, like that I, I, I kind of just like romanticized that as well. Like I, I kind of like kind of got off on the, like, you know, uh, like you want to have this like untold hard luck story that like people might just be, I like the mystery behind it. Like that I wasn't going to tell you, like I wasn't going to tell you what happened to me, but you're, you might want to, you, you might, you might be dying to know like what's, what's, what's happened. What's wrong with you? Like, like you said, yeah. but I'll never tell you, but I want you to, I want you to want to know. And like, I just thought it because was, then I'd be interested in you Yeah. and I'd be working to figure you out. Right. And that would keep me around. Yeah. And it's a way to get attention. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's all it is. A attention and acceptance. Yeah. But acceptance in a really weird way. Yeah. Yeah. There's also an element of control in that because you know that I'm. It, you're always going to be in a runner chaser dynamic. You're always running away from me, and I'm always chasing after you. Mm -hmm. So how does that play into your relationships during this time? Did you get into relationships while you were dealing with your drug addiction? Oh yeah, for sure. And you were the runner, or were you the chaser? No, I, I was the, you know what I did? I, I, I met and, and like kind of partnered up with, uh, with girls who were not in that life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I, I wanted to be this, like, I wanted to be healthy by proxy. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, no, I wanted them. I wanted to be the, the sort of the the exciting person that they hadn't been exposed to that like can show them some, some, some new and exciting things and then they can't get that anywhere else. So you yeah. got to stick with me. Ah. Yeah. So what does that make me? The, does that make me the runner? 
Yeah. Yes, I'm the runner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They end up kind of compromising and making all sorts of concessions for you because of the the chasing after trying to figure you out. Right. Ah, very clever. Yeah. Very, clever. <laughs> very clever. But you know, it it, it inevitably <laughs> ended up in you know that person going, all right, enough is enough. This is like mm-hmm. too much for me. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, you've, you've lied to me one too many times. I've caught you cheating. I've done whatever, whatever I was getting into, right? Like it was that excitement or that, that thing that I could show them wore off fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and at what point did you kind of, was it, was it the desire to get healthy for yourself that got you into recovery or got you even thinking about recovery or was it just the idea that you know I want relationships with other people and I just can't do this anymore like what was your what was your proverbial rock bottom oh far from where we're at right now really yeah okay oh no this is like this is this is like um I mean I went when I'm talking I'm talking like right now I'm like 18 19 years old I didn't get sober till 32 oh wow yeah Okay, so we still got a ways to go. Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I'm asking a bazillion questions just because, like, we really, like, there's something to be said for all of these processes, these little micro micro decisions that were being made along the way. Yeah. Um, I am curious to know, during this time, there's a lot of, we're talking about your friends, we're talking about your, all aspects of your teenage life, but I don't hear your family. Where are they? Um, they're around, but they're not really present. Like I'm not by their choice. Like Mm -hmm. they're, um, I think by this point they were starting to show some concern, Mm -hmm. um, because like, you know, I was starting to get into some, into some trouble. They were hearing about some stuff that, you know, I was out at the bars that, you know, some of their friends owned and like, it was quite public. My, my, my antics were not, um, you know, behind closed doors it was Mm -hmm. very public and um yeah so I my dad ended up being like somebody that I I used to drink with and Mm -hmm. you know he I um, you know for for a a chunk of time there he was like a drinking buddy to me and and we didn't really have like a father-son thing we had just like a you know like I could get you know I could fly down to Arizona and like party with him for a little bit and then Mm -hmm. you know that I and then go home and my mom was around she was like she didn't have much control over me at that point um she's she's she was and is still dealing with her own uh mental health issues and and her own demons and whatever um but you know our relationship's different today but back then no it was like she didn't have much control she tried to exercise some some control and some she was concerned more than anything, I think. Like she was, she started to, I know that she was starting to regret how, how uh, my brother and I grew up and the things that had happened, um, especially through their divorce when, you know, they were really using us against, uh, like playing us off each other and using us to kind of go back and forth between. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know she, she has expressed and even back then was expressing a lot of, um, a lot of remorse over her behavior. Mm but she was also concerned about me and thinking um and I know this for sure she she still says this that she thinks it's her fault that I went the route that I did so I think she was she was taking it very personally mhm mhm and that's a very interesting point for the people who are around somebody who is dealing with 
drug addiction or dealing with any kind of addiction whatsoever that thing of what have I done what did I do wrong Mm -hmm. that a lot of parents have and then that feeling of maybe if I try harder that spouses tend to have what do you is there any information or any message you have for those people like what what can you what can you do if you're in that position where you're watching someone slowly kill themselves and you feel personally responsible either because you're codependent or you have some sort of uh, attachment issues yourself what do you have to say to them what i would normally tell people that come to me family members or or partners of um i i always it's the hardest position to be in because you know, the, the saying of like, you know, the addict or the alcoholic will never accept help until they're truly ready for help. Um, so no matter what you say to that person, no matter what you show them, you know, you can hold the mirror up to them, up to their face all day long, show them their actions, but they won't, they won't see it until they're really ready to see it. Mm-hmm. I always tell people that um, loving from a distance is probably the most effective way. So telling, letting that person know, like, I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you and I want better for you, but nothing I'm doing right now is helping. I, I, I've offered all the assistance I can. So when you're ready, you know, I'm not going to, you might not see me, but I'm here. When you're ready, come pull me off the sidelines. I'm here. I'm here waiting for you. Mm-hmm. So when, if, and when you're ready, you say the word and I'll be there. Mm-hmm. But up and you know, until then, I can't do anything because really, it's it's bad for both parties. Um, you end up banging your head against the wall because nothing you say is is accepted. Nothing you say is is um, um, there's there's always a reason why it's not their fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's right. just a very um, it's a hard place for an addict to be mm-hmm. having a, a loved one tell them that they've messed up and that they need help. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, most times it will create more distance. Um, that person might, that might put a wedge in the, in the relationship from the addict to say, no, I don't want to hear this from you anymore. You're out of my life. Mm-hmm. Just the, the more effective way I think is, like I said, show your love, show your support, show them that, you know, you're there for them, but you're not going to meddle right now. You're yeah. not going to, you know, and, and, but make it known. Like what you're doing right now has nothing to do with me. I've offered, I, I'm here for you. So you, when you are ready, when you're going to accept it, when you're, you know, you're, you've either hit a bottom or you've come to a realization that you truly need the help, um, say the word and I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That, that's to me the only way to, to, to navigate that situation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you end up, uh, yeah, creating codependency. You end up, um, you know, creating drama and, and costing, um, like, you know, time, money, emotion, energy on, on something that you really can't change. It's like, you know, how do you, uh, that's why I say it's like you're banging your head against the wall trying to get through to the other side. It's just not going to go. Yeah. Um, And if you're a person who's already codependent, toxic relationships are almost heaven for you because toxic mm -hmm. relationships especially if you don't have a clear direction in your life of where you want to go, toxic relationships make you feel productive because there's so much work Yeah, and you get so enmeshed in them that you don't want to divest from it. Right. And not only that, but from, even from my own experience, addicts are tend to be a lot of fun. They're like the life of the party. They're a great time. And then there's always that weird Romeo and Juliet of this person is crazy and there's something about their crazy. You end up having like a weird Sid and Nancy kind of thing going. Yeah. It's, 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 
if you're bored and you don't know what you're doing with yourself, that is very easy to lose yourself in and mm -hmm. blame the addict and blame that person for all of your own issues. So you almost have a vested interest in keeping them sick as well. Right. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Um, so, so moving on yeah. finally, um, the, there was a second event with sexual abuse. Yeah. When did that happen? Um, that happened, I was around, yeah, so that was around this time actually. So we're not like, it's, it's around 18 years old. Yeah. Um, I was like, so I also like part of this whole like lifestyle too, for me, like I played in like, I, like I played in bands that we like did, we toured around a little bit with some like bigger name Canadian acts and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, with that comes a lot of parties, it comes a lot of like attention, comes a lot of like free booze, free drugs, mm -hmm. lots of that stuff. Right. A lot of like yeah just everything in excess um mm -hmm. and it was fun and it was exciting um i had gone uh i had gone to waterloo with um with the band mm -hmm. and um i had gotten like blackout blackout drunk again i ended up getting separated from people um i don't remember exactly what happened but um i woke up or came to whatever you would mm -hmm. call it uh, in between two houses, like mm -hmm. in like a little, almost like an alleyway between two houses, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I was bleeding from places that I shouldn't be bleeding. I was beaten up. Like I, I got the shit kicked out of me. I got like, I don't know. I don't know what was either used to assault me or what or who did it. I have no, no recollection of what happened to me. Yeah. I just woke up and I was like next to naked on the ground, like shivering, shaking, bleeding, um, like back in back, right back in this, like, you know, childlike state. Um, and that's, a, that's as an adult now, right? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that I actually just started talking about, um, recently. Well, well, thank you yeah. for sharing Yeah. because that is, that makes that makes the next so you're 18 at this time didn't didn't uh seek recovery until 32 mm -hmm. that basically resets the clock yeah yeah that put me back yeah, yeah for sure um and then of course back to back to um that that same that that same um you know like shame guilt remorse yeah. I, I did i put myself in this position like i had I not been, had I not been like so fucked up, would this have happened to me? What did I do to provoke this? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I did. I don't know who did it. I don't like, I'm, there's so many questions <laughs> yeah. like, to this day, right? I'm 43 now. I mm -hmm. still don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways, I mean, it was, uh, it definitely, that brought me to a new level of, um, abuse. So after that, I was like, okay I couldn't stop it when I was seven now I can't stop it when I'm like 18 years old what does that make me you know what I mean like and, and of course I'm not going to talk about that with any of my friends because like it's just, I'm 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 so embarrassed I'm so full of shame about this thing like I can't you know I started making jokes and just being like oh like you know I ended up getting back to with the people I was with and like 
you know, showing them like, oh, I got in a fight, like, you know, and I'm making jokes about like, uh, you know, I, I don't remember who they are, but like, I got a few good shots in, like that sort of thing. It's a, it's a, you know, I'm making up this story because I, I'm terrified for anybody to know what happened, that I was that vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I had started using needles and, and, and I just, you know, I was toying with heroin at the time. I was, there was, you know, stuff started really, really, um, and, and I think around that, that time I was, was before or after I had moved down to the Caribbean for about a year. And, and again, same sort of thing. I went for an escape and, and found lots of trouble and, and, you know, um, it was kind of another one of those attempts for a geographical cure. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, then I was living with this thing and I, I just, I was like, I, I moved to Toronto for a little bit. I was trying to go to school, got kicked out of school. I ended up like couch surfing on people's, you know, I was like without a, without kind of a place to stay for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just floundering. I was, I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't want to be in my city because like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel accepted there anymore. I, I felt like, you, you know, burned all a lot of bridges. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then, and then I came, I moved, I lived downtown for, for a while and it was like, cool, I can be anonymous, but like I wasn't. And then, you know, the same thing. Like I just, I, everywhere I went, I, you know, I brought myself with me and I brought my, all my problems and I, I sought out the people that were um, exactly like me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like, it's easy, like it's easy to find those, the, those miserable people that are, you know, searching for the same things that you are or running from the same things that you are. Like when you're in it, you just recognize it. Yeah. Right. Um, and what is it, what does it look like to somebody on the outside who can't recognize it? What is it, what does a, a fellow damaged soul look like? I mean, it's, it, it, it's not that it looks a certain way. Like somebody from the, I, I'm, I honestly think that like two people that are, are, that are like that are just drawn to each other. Yeah. I don't think like, cause I, I've, I've been, I've had people cross my path mm -hmm. that I just am like, I know that you share the same, you, you're, you share the same affliction that I do. And I, and they don't look any certain way. Mm -hmm. They might look like they have it all together, but for some reason I've had like a three minute conversation with them and they, I know that they're, like, it's just the language. It's the, it's like the, the, I don't know whether it's like the posturing or the language or the, the, there isn't, there is a vibe that, yeah. that people in the fuck it energy just kind of radiate. Right. Yeah. It, it, I, yeah. But they're, they, they, it's attractive, right? It, they, we attract each other. And, and so that's, yeah, I was just finding that everywhere. Yeah. And so I didn't ever feel like I, I felt like everywhere I went, I could find, I'd find more people that were, that were struggling. And, you know, even, even heart, like people would tell me stories that made my story seem like child's play. And yeah. like, I was like, okay, cool. Now I can sit next to somebody who I can go, Hey, I'm not as bad as this guy. Trauma bonding. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, yeah, my stories that like, I don't, I'm not proud of my story, but like, listen to this guy. Don't yeah. look at me. Look at him. Yeah. And, um, I started to do that a lot. Like, um, yeah, I would like even when I'd go out, I I sit I'd sit in bars a lot, and mm -hmm. like, you know, I'd 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 purposely sit next to somebody who looked like they were down and out. Yeah. Because I I just wanted to be like, hey, I can get I can get really drunk, I can get really messed up, I I can be as fucked up as I want in mm -hmm. here, and he's still going to be the, you know, 
the the down and out kind of street guy that that that'll have people like pointing fingers and I won't, they won't look at me. Yeah, they we're all guilty of that in some way. It's uh, what's the word for it? Emotional vampirism. Yeah. 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 Like that's 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 a natural response to just like I walk around with these feelings of feeling like a piece of shit on a regular basis. I just need someone to be a bigger piece of shit. Than yeah, me. it's sad, it's but it's true. It's yeah. completely normal and we do it all the time. So I, that doesn't surprise me at all, especially when you're walking around with all of these feelings from the, the, the feeling of being perpetually victimized, perpetually giving of yourself and being rejected. It's, it, it becomes, it, it's hard not to, not to associate that firmly with your sense of self and your identity that yeah. you are rejectable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I can understand what you're talking about when it comes to those spirits that you, those people you kind of just nat- naturally gravitate to. It's kind of like you saw Fight Club, right? Mm-hmm. Like Tyler Durden and Marla Sanger. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, you know what? We're both fucked up. Let's go down together. Sure. Yeah. It, there is something romantic about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can see why people would be drawn to that. But what would happen if you interacted with somebody who had the audacity to believe that you were in any way special or worthy or not a piece of shit. What, it, what would happen? What would you do? And how would you most likely sabotage it if mm. you met somebody who had, the, who, who had the, the, the poor taste to think that you were special, that you mattered? Um, I try and talk them out of it. I try to probably tell them that, like, I don't know. I... I I might sh- I might show them something that I wouldn't normally show other people mm-hmm. to sh- just to say like oh no you don't really know mm-hmm. um, you're actually wasting your time like mm-hmm. I'm I'm not fixable I'm not mm-hmm. you know um, or 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 I might like just walk away like I might it might be like I just sorry that you don't. Mm-hmm. you know that i appreciate your the, eyes kind of glazed over when you when you said you're yeah. just like like that kind of oh i'm not even i'm yeah. not even interested in that kind of like yeah 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 <laughs> i don't know i think i was like yeah i would have i would have just not it wouldn't have been appealing yeah and yeah. It, it wouldn't it, i wouldn't have like accepted it yeah yeah whatever way i found effective yeah you know i I, if that meant just like the sorry like i don't want you in my life or or like let me tell you why you shouldn't be in my life you know (laughs) or let me show you even worse let me show you why hang out with me for two weeks yeah you think i'm so special like watch watch hold my beer well that that's that's what it that thing though that 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 feeling of um oh like uh i i would i would say like oh like you think I'm a good guy? Hang on. Like watch me hurt myself. Yeah. Watch me watch me go down. Watch yeah. m- me like, you know, set myself on fire basically yeah. by like, you know, my actions. Yeah. I I yeah. Yeah. That is that's one of the saddest things whenever I whenever like cuz I used to do that a lot myself and I still you still struggle with it. You always struggle with it when you've mm-hmm. had those issues for so long. But that thing of if you knew me the way I knew me, you wouldn't like me either. Right. That, yeah, yeah. that feeling is something that you always kind of have to contend with. And you always have to find weird, co- little intricate coping mechanisms to keep yourself from completely unraveling your life because yeah. of that little voice. Yeah. So at this point, you're now... So, so that the, section sexual assault, the second sexual assault has happened now, 1819? 
Yeah. And now at this point, you're heavily into heroin. Um, I mean, I was, I was mainlining Coke, mm -hmm. uh, and then take heroin would be for like the end of the night yeah. when I couldn't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And I was never, I never got to be like, um, I only, I was like flirting with heroin. Mm -hmm. I never went all in. Mm -hmm. Um, I got, you know, like I, I got, I got so like, you know, I'd get sick a little bit, but mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't ever go like full heroin addict. Mm hmm I, it was more of a, like a tool that I used mm -hmm. with with cocaine. So like I'd either mix the two together mm -hmm. or I would do like I would do coke like I'd shoot coke all night and then heroin to like mm -hmm. for the end of the night to like bring me down. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like and then at that point I was starting to see a divide in my friends of like, okay, certain group, certain friends are going like to like heroin only or like opiates only and then the, my other groups my other group of friends is like just sticking with like coke and maybe like m moving to crack and, and that sort of thing right like yeah. um or both like you know it there was like there was that was a time where there was like yeah it was it divided a, a lot of my friends so like mm -hmm. i was kind of um i didn't know which way but i i leaned more to with the the, the coke people yeah yeah they, it's interesting because the last time you talked about your group of friends, everybody was talking, was telling you to kind of chill out because they were all figuring out what they were doing with their lives after high school. They yeah. were all going to college, sure. sort of going into whatever. And now you're deciding between two groups of people. One's doing heroin and one's doing coke. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, and the friend group is completely different. Yeah. Like, they're like, I mean, and the, I don't want to say that the level of, like, I kept, I kept... I would start to hang out with people that were younger than me because I, I wasn't acting my age mm -hmm. and I found people that were my age were doing stuff. They were getting careers or they were moving, moving forward. They were getting degrees and that sort of thing. I wasn't, and I didn't feel like I fit in. So like I'd go to like, yeah, I'd hang out with people that were younger than me where I was always with older people. Mm -hmm. Um, or I'd find people that were like, like, you know, like I said before, like more down and out mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, and then anyway, you know, I, I I got I got to a point where you know I I was I needed to work. I I was like I'd been living downtown and and I I I couldn't. I had to sell everything that I had. I sold all my instruments. I sold all like, everything. I was pawn like pawn shops and just to just to get by. And mm -hmm. I ended up coming back to moving back to St. Catharines and I got a job in a machine shop. And mm -hmm. I was like, it was factory life for me, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I guess this is it. Like I'm gonna be a factory worker and you know, um, the money was good. Mm -hmm. Hours were good. Like I was working steady midnight so mm -hmm. I could go in, set up my machine. You know, I, I just go out in the parking lot and we'd party. Mm -hmm. Like there was a, it, there was no management around. It was like, you know, 11 to set 11 PM to 7 AM. Mm -hmm. We'd party, we'd do our, like set our machines up, party, go back halfway through the shift, set our machines up again, party. And then by the time we were done our shift, like we were like, ready to go 7 a.m. and we like go party at somebody else's house and like mm. or I'd go to some crack house or whatever yeah. it, it and I had money now like I had um le legitimate money mm -hmm. in my pocket um from this job and um so this is the time I'm 22 at this time um and uh and like I said I'd already moved around to different continents different countries different cities been kicked out of school been you know through a whole bunch of shit and um now I'm, I'm in this factory and this is the, the first, um, well, I, I started to notice a, a man that I worked with and, and he was this big, 
um, big bearded man, like tattoos all over his arms. Like, looked like a like a, like an old biker, um, and he would just sit there and look at me. He was on steady days, so he would come in when I was getting off work, mm-hmm. and he'd just like look at me, cross his arms and look at me from a cr- like we had this little corridor. He'd just look at me, and the only way I can describe this look that he would give me is like the same look that a disapproving father would give a son. Mm, that's the worst. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And the whole time I'm like, what the fuck is with this guy? Like, did I piss this guy off? Did I say something in a blackout to him? Like, did I, like, do I owe him money? Like, what's up with this dude? Yeah, and you can't shake that feeling either. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, so every time I just, I'm like, what is, like, I, I'm racking my brain and I'm, I'm thinking this guy, like, he, one of these days he's either going to knock me out or, or like, I don't know. I don't, he just looked so disappointed in me. <laughs> and, um, I, I finally got, um, you know, I crossed paths with him. I was going in, I was going into the change room and he was out front and then he just grabbed me and he has his big like worker hands, you know, and like grabbed onto my shoulder and like pulled me into him and, and said, kid, like, like, and he was holding me, like holding me. So I couldn't walk away. And he's like, look at me. Like, look me in the eye. And he goes, I just want to tell you, if you ever get sick and tired of being sick and tired, give me a call. I can help you. And he handed me a piece of paper with his name and his number on it. And I, I, I had no clue what he was talking about. I had, like, he, that's all he said. That's all he left me with. And it would have been normally like me to just, like, chuck this piece of, of paper in the garbage and be like, okay, whatever, old man. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, for some reason, I held on to it. And... um you know, a few months after that, I was in a bar uh, by myself. Uh, drug dealers were not answering my phone calls. Like, like, cause I was, I was into everybody for so much money. I was not like, I was getting fronts for everything. I, you know, I was pissing people off. Like just people were, I had no friends, mm-hmm. no friends around me. No, like, I, like it's bad when a drug dealer doesn't pick up your call. Yeah. That, that means like you're, you're, for for a person in in active addiction your, your drug dealer won't pick up your call he's saying like you're too fucked up i don't want your business shit yeah <laughs> right so i'm like racking up this bar tab and i'm tr- desperate for drugs and like racking up this tab and i'm like what am i gonna do here um i'm flipping through my wallet looking for like anything that maybe i have like a debit card or like some cash that I've stashed away or something I can do. Cause I got this bar massive bar tab that I can't pay. Mm-hmm. I don't have any money left. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I'm, I'm still ordering drinks. Yeah. And this guy's number like falls out of my wallet. And it's like one of these like moments where I'm like, okay, like this means something, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to find money, but this guy's number falls out. And the last thing he said to me is that I can help you. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, and this is, this is, 20 years ago, I went to the payphone and put a quarter in and like, um, called the, uh, called the number. And I was like, his name's Terry. And I said, Terry, it's, it's Chris from work. Um, you said that if I ever get sick and tired of being sick and tired, that you could help me. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much there. I think I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't know what to do with myself right now. Like, how is it that you can help? And he said, where are you? I told him, he said, stay right there. I'll be there in 10 minutes. And uh, you know, I joke about this, but I think it's true. At the time, all I probably wanted was for somebody to come and pay my bar tab. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, I, I just, you know, and so he showed up, uh, he 
agreed to pay my bar tab because mm -hmm. I told him I, I've got nothing. And he was like, yeah, I've been there. And he was like, okay, here's the deal. How good did that feel, though, just to have somebody be like, yeah, I've been there? Yeah, that was the first time anybody's ever said that. Yeah. And in a coherent state of like, you know, like he, you know, he was a commanding presence, too. He was like, he was sober. He was like healthy. Um, Fatherly. Yeah, 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 totally. So he, he was like, yeah, I've been there. And he's like, okay, here's the deal. I'll pay your bar tab, but you got to come across the street to Tim Hortons with me. I'm going to feed you and buy you a giant coffee and we're going to have a talk. And it was like, okay, sure. What are we talking about? And like, <laughs> just pay the tab and then let's go. And so I got my bar tab paid. I was happy. Went across the street to Tim Hortons. I'm like trying to stomach a sandwich or a bagel or something and, and drink this coffee. And he starts to tell me about like his whole story about how, you know, he was, he was an alcoholic and, and he was in, you know, in a, involved with the biker lifestyle and, and all this stuff and, you know, what had happened in his life, what changed and then what it's like today. Mm -hmm. And, um, it sounded like, you know, it sounded like something out of a, like to me as a drug addict a down and out drug addict, it sounded like a fairy tale. Like yeah. nobody bounces back from this shit. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, I'm like, but I'm looking at him in the flesh and he's telling me with a straight face, looking me in the eyes. Like he, I'm, I believe him. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, it sounds pretty amazing, but like, I can't do that. Like, how do you, he's like, you can do it. You just have to, you need help doing it. You can't do it alone. You've been trying to do it alone. That's your problem. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, who do I depend on? Like, you know, I, if I can't do it alone, how, like, how am I supposed to do it? I, I only got me to depend on me. And he's like, no, 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 dude doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter what you're doing doesn't matter who you are there's people that will offer you help with this stuff for free you didn't pay me any money in fact i paid to be here right now and i'm i'm wasting two hours talking to you like you know this is this is this is like what we do for each other yeah. as alcoholics do you think you're an alcoholic and i was like i guess, yeah you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm 22. Like, I don't want to say I'm an alcoholic, but I joked about it before and I really, truly know I am. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, he's like, well, you sound like one to me. I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't make that decision, but it sounds like you, it sounds like you're one of us. And that was the first time, like just hearing you're one of us mm -hmm. sounded like, okay, well, like acceptance again, that acceptance that I had when I first took my first drink. Yeah. You know, I was like one of us, like one, like there's more of you mm -hmm. and, and I belong to this group of people somehow yeah. as an alcoholic. Like who, who are you? Yeah. He's like, listen, I'm going to come pick you up, bring you to a meeting tomorrow. Um, be ready at like whatever time, five 30. So I went to this meeting with him. And, I mean, it was an AA meeting and I walked in there as a 22 year old fuck up kid. And, um, you know, I was by far the youngest person in the room. Um, I had only seen AA in movies and I thought like, you know, there, uh, I, I pictured it, a group of people sitting in a circle in a church talking about how shit their lives are. And like, I, I looked at that as like, well, I'm not one of those losers. I'm yeah. like, I'm a different kind of alcoholic. Right. Yeah. Pussies. Yeah. <laughs> like. So, um, and so like, but I agreed to go and, and I, and I wanted what he had. I wanted his life. Like I wanted, I wanted life. Like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved what, so it, I went to this meeting and I, I made the, the real big mistake of, of walking in there and not relating 
to anybody. So like everybody was smiling and laughing and joking. Like they all wanted to shake my hand. And like, honestly, all I could think of is like, what do you want from me? Why are you laughing? You're sober. How fun is that? Like you're boring, you know, and you guys are all laughing and joking. That's so boring. Like what, you know, and I'm 22, like I'm like a kid. Right. Um, and, and then I, I'm listening to the stories and they're talking about like losing houses, lose, uh, you know, getting in like DUI accidents and, and like having, uh, like getting thrown in jail, getting, um, marriages broken up, mm-hmm. not having a job, not having the, and I, I had some material things cause I had a job. So I had a place to live. I had a, a vehicle. Yeah. I had at that time, a, a not a super rock solid relationship, but I had a, like I had a girl at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, and you know, and I hadn't been thrown into jail. I hadn't lost any of these things that people were talking about. Um, and, and I, I, I so foolishly focused on all the material things or the life things that they were talking about and said, no, nah, that hasn't happened to me. I'm not like that. I have this, that's, that doesn't make me an alcoholic mm-hmm. instead of listening to the stories and relating to the, the, to the emotions that they went through and the, the, the pain that they were in and, and how they turned it around and looking at it as a message or a story of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sat there and said, no, not me, not me, not me, not me. Yeah. And but, then, but to be fair, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. to be fair, you could, you, as, as a survivor of abuse, and, and I'm not trying to tell you your story, but like from everything that I've seen, you literally can't emo- emotionally connect with people in a healthy way. So I, I think you, you did what most of us do whenever we're confronted with a harsh reality about ourselves that we have a problem that we're not the version the version of ourselves even when we think we're messed up mm-hmm. of who we think we are we're, we, we're actually we're closer to the bottom than we care to realize right and you focused on the tangibles i can't see your emotions but i could see if you got a car or not yeah so that makes sense and even as you're saying that i immediately started thinking well okay so do i would i have this problem if i was a situation i have a I have a roof over my head and i started doing the exact same thing you did mm-hmm. so that's yeah that's, yeah it's yeah i mean and, and i think a lot of people do that mm-hmm. and and so that's why there's a lot of a lot of people that come in and out of the rooms yeah. that way and they say no 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 that's not me but one thing that I would say to this guy, I'd be like, you know, I stayed sober for a couple of weeks, I think. And I'd say to this guy, like, now every time I go to these meetings, these people are they're talking about these things. Like, it hasn't happened to me. And all he, he would finish my sentence every time. And he'd be like, yet, yet, mm-hmm. yet. Oh, that hasn't happened to you? You haven't been thrown in jail yet? You haven't been, you know, the, and, and he was right. But like, you know, he, he said, keep doing what you're doing and you'll be just like one of these people. You don't have to, you don't have to have all these things happen to you. You yeah. can, you can sidestep all this bullshit and just get well. And I wasn't willing. Mm-hmm. So I was just there taking up a seat and complaining and saying, no, no, no. I was comparing and not relating and all this stuff. So I, I, I relapsed and went on and, and, and lied about it to him at work. And then, yeah, it was just, you know, the, uh, but there was something, something happened after I went to my, after I had that period of sobriety. And that was that like being drunk or high or both became a little less fun. Like it took all of the, like, not, not that it was fun, but it became a little more I'm conscious of how wrong this is kind of thing. Yeah. Like I know. So prior to that, I kind of, I had set my life up that I was always around people that were 
in that life. So I didn't know that life outside that truly existed for people. Like I saw people driving to work, but I thought they were fakes or I thought they were, you know, like I, I literally, like I would, I would say like, there's no way, like they gotta be like, I don't know, whatever. Like I, I, I was delusional yeah. and I thought that the, re- like the world just lives this way. And so now I was exposed to a group of people who lived without the crutch of alcohol and or drugs and they were happy and they were living this like joyous, free life. And they were like warm. They were like, I remember the smiles. I remember the, the, the clear eyes and the like eye contact and the, the, like the welcoming feeling. And it was like a, a very, like I walked into like a fuzzy blanket when I walked into that room, Yeah. even though I was pushing back, I still remember that, that, that feeling of like, I felt nurtured and, and cared for in did, a way. Did you, did you find yourself pushing back against it just because you a thought these people were faking it because there's no way you could be having this good of a time without alcohol or drugs and did, or did you push back against it because on some level you didn't think, feel like you deserve to be happy? Probably a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I I didn't think I was ready to be happy. I don't know that I thought. I, I mean, yeah. Ready to be happy. Yeah, like I didn't think. I remember thinking and saying even. I liked. The, I really liked the break. I really enjoyed that break, but like I'm not ready to give it up for life. I'm not ready to commit. I'm not ready to to be like. I'm not, and I, I wasn't ready to fully like concede to myself that I was actually an alcoholic and that I couldn't live without like that I that I you know that I needed something that I needed other people instead of a substance but Um, you okay so this this is interesting because you didn't feel good at this point you're further on into your addiction so it doesn't feel good you don't get that warm fuzzy feeling you initially got when you first mm -hmm. get high you're just doing it to cope but you've now proven to yourself that you're capable of living without it but you go back to it even though it doesn't feel good. Is it just the habit at this point or is it just still a sort of, a sort of kind of self-flagellation kind of? It's habit. It's what I know. It's what I'm, it's where I'm, I'm comfortably uncomfortable. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's uh, like, you know, a lot of people do like prison time and they do well. They, they get an education in prison. They do like, you know, they, they pick up a, a trade or a ha- like some, some healthy habits. They get sober, whatever. And then they come back out and they fall right back into the old life. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's where you're, that's where you, you know, that's where you're, yeah. That uncomfortably comfortable Mm -hmm. or yeah. Like it, it, it's, I don't know what, I don't know what drew, what draws me back to it or what drew me back to it. But, um, anyways, I, I was, uh, I went back out and then I, I started to, um, I would start to use the rooms, so I knew that it existed, and then I started to leverage the the rooms of recovery. Mm-hmm. So whether it was NA, CA, AA, some other like uh, like there's smart meetings that are like not twelve step based and stuff. And oh, and that's another thing that I I was really pushing back on the the religion aspect of these meetings because turn off a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And I I was not because I didn't um, that wasn't for me. Yeah. Right. And so I I you know of course I. I thought, oh, geez, like, what a cult. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of this brainwashing. Like, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. Um, and and um, 
I'll I've drink seen, everything else, but not the not their Kool Aid. Yeah, like I, I've seen people who have had issues with addiction or or anything where they do it in excess turn to religion, and that becomes a new drug, and they yeah. get weird about it. So I can sure. see that that kind of pushing people away. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard the twelve step programs are actually even though they're religious and over in, in undertone, they're actually not that bad for for like agnostic or non-religious people yeah it's um so they 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 use like the the term higher power mm-hmm. rather than like god um yeah. so a higher power or like a higher power of your understanding so that can mean you know you're not you're not told to be part of a certain religion or a sect or denomination mm-hmm. um it's whatever you choose to be your higher power the idea is that you're not the one running the show right now you got to put your faith into something else right um that could be a sponsor, that could be another person, whatever. Mm-hmm. But up until this point, I've been running the show and look where I've brought my life. Yeah. So something else, you got to look outside, you know? And, and to me, the way I see that now, a higher power is like a community. Mm-hmm. So like um, a, a community of people recovering together, that can be like, I don't, I'm not a, I won't, I'm not a person that's religious. So, uh, but I, I actually follow a lot of like Buddhist principles now, mm-hmm. but what I really, really like is, um, yeah, community. That's what, that's what I rely on to, uh, to, to, to grow and to stay sober and, 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 and move through sobriety and, and grow in recovery. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyways, I, uh, over the years, so I, I'll kind of, um, like kind of move forward and, yeah. and say, because <laughs> it, yeah. Um, so during that time, I, I realized I didn't like factory life. Um, I, I had, um, you know, I had gotten a girl pregnant at the time and I was like that, that she miscarried and, and there was like a lot of just like turmoil in my life and, um, and then stuff at work was not good. Um, and I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to, so I was renting a house or not a house, an apartment off of a paramedic and. I was complaining about work and he said to me one day, like, you know, you could try to be a paramedic if you want. Like I've got, I could pull some strings, hopefully like try to get you into college for it, but you got to take it seriously. It's really hard. Um, and it was only a two year college program. I liked the idea of it. And I thought to myself, Hey, here's an opportunity to be somebody in the community, to be somebody who's, um, held on uh, held to a higher standard than what people see me as right now. This might be my little, this might be my opportunity to jump up in, in status among my peers. Yeah. Like I can be, I can have a respectable job and that, that will, that will take away from all the shit that I'm into right now. Right. And I like that. So he did, he helped me get into school. Um, I went to school to be a paramedic. Um, I performed very poorly. I ended up like meeting a girl in, um, uh, you know, I, I, I started sleeping with the smart girl in class and she got me through the program. Um, pimp game, really yeah. great. Pimp hand way strong, <laughs> huh? <laughs> uh, you said it, I didn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, so, you know, I, I, got out of that, I got out of that program and I was not very confident. My skills weren't up to par and now I'm sent out into the workforce to save people's lives. And I always kind of like look at it back then, you know, I'm like 23 years old, tasked with the, the, this, this job of saving people's lives or being responsible for somebody's life, but I couldn't do, I couldn't manage my own. 
Um, and I had zero, I didn't have the, I didn't have this, I cheated my way through school. There's no way I could do it. I worked as it, as one for like almost a year. Yeah. And my, my partner that I was on the road with, like he took the brunt of all my bullshit. He carried me through that year. Otherwise people would have actually died. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's scary. It's a, so I realized I didn't want to, um, I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. I could, I just couldn't. Yeah. So I was left with two options, I guess, as far as a uh, career would go. And that, uh, in having the, the road experience on the ambulance and the paramedic diploma, I could either kind of transition that to, um, to work as a cop. And I mean, for me at that time, all my friends were criminals. I was a criminal. Uh, I would be like busting all uh, like just people I know all day, every day. There's no way I could do it. I'm just not cop material. That's okay. And I'm no, you I'm ain't proud. No I'm pr- no. <laughs> hey, I'm proud. I'm proud that I'm not cop material. <laughs> I, I tr- um, so then the other option, and yes, yeah, so that of course wasn't an option. I never would do it. Uh, but, uh, the other option was fire. So, um, you know, same same sort of idea that I was looking at before. Like I can still be this like upstanding citizen. Um, but I like the idea that you work with a team, not just one partner. Um, it's more physical. So like, you know, there's not a lot of like, um, clinical, um, like medical diagnosis that you need to be like concerned with. It's more like, you know, do the work. Um, it's a lot of like either like heavy lifting and, and, or like team that kind of, teamwork to 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 like solve um you know whatever problems put in front of you whether it's a car accident a fire uh, a rescue um and of course we do still go to medical calls but um anyways I wanted to pursue that so I, I, I went down to Texas and um I took a fire course down there uh, I loved it I fell in love with that uh like with the job I guess while I was down there um it was something that I I I was okay at it was something that um i kind of liked the i liked the people i was in school with so like you know we partied together we hung out like and i i mean i was i wasn't i wasn't doing drugs when i was down there i, I couldn't access it mm-hmm. like i could anywhere else um and and there was really strict rules um and i had been kicked out of school once before and cheated my way through the other kind of program that i took so i was like really trying not to fuck up mm-hmm. So I was drinking, but I wasn't doing drugs while I was down there. Um, and, and I, yeah, I just, I, I liked, I just liked the job. Like I liked what, what it entailed and, um, there's a good structure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. And I liked the team, the team aspect of it, you know, like I didn't, I'm not left on my own to make a decision. Like I can, I've got a a group of people that we can put our heads together and make decisions together. Mm -hmm. That made more sense to me. Um, so I came back home and ended up getting a job in Niagara Falls. So with Niagara Falls Fire Department, mm-hmm. I'd sobered up. So I started to use the rooms of recovery as like sort of like places to dip into when things got tough. So like if I was in trouble, like with if I got in trouble with the cops or whatever, I would like go to go to like an AA meeting or like start to go like go to the detox or whatever. And um, just to show, just to say like, no, 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 like I know like I'm a fuck up, but look, I'm doing something about it. Right. It was very self-serving right. and selfish, but um, I was still 
in those meetings mm-hmm. and so or if i was you know my if a partner was like pissed off because like i'd fucked up something i'd be like no no no, no we can stay together because i'm gonna go to get help mm-hmm. and they'd, they'd stick around for another couple months or whatever um and then i started to, so when i got hired as a firefighter um i i needed to go through like tests like physical testing and stuff like that so i sobered up for that i used the rooms again for that and i was like okay cool i can go get sober so i started to make a habit of using these rooms for my own personal gain or like you know it, it's it was like i said it's selfish and self-serving but yeah. I, I was still sometimes I was, you just got to do what you got to do to yeah, keep going for sure yeah. and uh and so i managed to land the job um the first day i i so as soon as i got the phone call that they offered me the job i signed all the papers and i like you know, I'd been sober for three or four weeks at that time. Um, and I thought like, oh, you know, I got the job, got the job done, like, you know, time to celebrate. So started partying again. By the time my start date uh, came around, I was like well into it again. Like mm-hmm. I, when you stop and then relapse, like mm-hmm. you, you come back as if you didn't skip a beat. Mm-hmm. Like you come back almost with like, I mean, at least the experience for me was like, hey, I missed out on a month of this. I better go harder. Like, I'm, like, making up for lost time in a weird way. Yeah. Um, so I showed up the first day of work, and, um, you know, I was a little hungover, I think, and I was very, like, I looked different than everybody. I was smaller than everybody. I had, like, you know, a bunch of tattoos, and nobody else did. Um, I was, like, I just presented a lot different. I didn't look like their, you know, the, 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 the calendar boys that were hired with me. Um, so, so I felt it's kind of alienated again and right back to the gym class. class. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then to add to that, one of the one, uh, this is a key thing in my story. Like one of the, the very, um, first days, a senior firefighter came up to the group of us and said, uh, you know, I want to, then this guy was like super old school, just like, typical typical firefighter um he came up and he's like you know if i can give you guys any advice for the rest of your career um i'll say this and and really listen to me never show weakness around here because we prey on our weak and uh and and i was like my my stomach just flipped upside down when i heard that i was like oh fuck like i got plenty of weaknesses Mm -hmm. and now here i am again in a place where somebody's telling me not to talk about it, right? Don't show, don't show weakness. Yeah. We prey on our weak. And then he followed it up with this statement about like, you know, you're paid a lot of money to do this job and we don't work all the time. But when we do work, we're paid to, to do the things we do and see the things that we see. So you suck it up, you walk it off and you be a man. And that Jesus. was like, those were the words, right? Yeah. And so to me... I'm like right back to childhood yeah. and like, okay, now I got to be the, the quote unquote man again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so then I, I was trying to, pl- I was trying to play that. I was trying to juggle that, that those two lives. So I wanted to, at work to be the heavy drinker or the party guy. Mm-hmm. So I was back in high school, right? I wanted to be the party guy, but I didn't want to be the alcoholic or the yeah. drug addict. So I'd go out with the guys after a hard shift. Yeah. And we'd drink at the bar and I'd try and drink more than everybody. So people would say, oh my God, he can drink like, you know, and then I'd take off, get in my car drunk, of course, and like drive to some crack house. And I'd be with, you know, my other friends for like the next three days. Mm -hmm. Then I'd try to put my firefighter hat back on, go to work, try to hold it together for my shift. 
what was your mind like at this point when you're kind of juggling who you want to be and yeah it was squirrely it was like it was a constant um tornado in there really like it was like I, i don't know who am I today? Who am I supposed to be? Like, I can't remember. Is this the day where I'm a drug addict? Is this the day where I'm a upstanding wow. citizen? Is this the day where I'm, uh, you know, selling drugs? Am I like making a run across the border for somebody? Am I, you know, it was just like chaotic. It was yeah. chaos, pure chaos. And, um, so of course that, that, that whole, um, heavy drinker thing and not alcoholic didn't last too long. People saw through my shit pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I started getting in trouble with some of the people outside of work and then cops were starting to call work and there was a whole bunch of things. So all those things that hadn't happened to me yet mm-hmm. started to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of shame around all that stuff. And on top of that, <laughs> and I started to see a lot of things at work that I, you know, we're going to overdose calls. When I went to an overdose call, I mean, I'd overdosed in the past. Um, I had lost, I had, I was really starting to lose a lot of friends to overdose. Like I, friends were falling off like crazy. Like I, I never knew who I'd see the next week because everyone was dying on me because mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're messing with like heavy amounts of bad shit. So like, you know, it was a quite a common thing for people just to like, oh yeah, so-and-so OD'd, he didn't make it last week, you know? And it's like, okay, well, another one, another one, another one. Um, so I started, and I've been in houses where people OD'd and died. Like I've been in a crack house when people died, when somebody OD'd and died. And I stepped over the body and, and ran because I knew that the fire department was coming and the ambulance was coming. Mm -hmm. Like it's, and then I, and then the next day I put my fire department uniform on and went to work. It's like, what a, like, it's just, it's, it's like two worlds that don't line up at all. Right. So, I mean, Yeah. You're forcing, and 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 the worst thing about all of that is that, on one hand, you're 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 not giving yourself the space to recognize that you can be both the the vic, the victor and the villain. Like that's just natural human nature. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you're also, you 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 set yourself up in such opposition to yourself right. by trying to be the hero that you don't give yourself room and room to be human. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's really really sad and then it just makes you more mentally ill more frantic and more and i'm assuming you dove probably deeper into addiction at this point yeah well and like i said i was going to these these calls at work so i was you know and now I'm, I'm i'm doing my job and i'm going into crack houses and seeing people that i know dead mm-hmm. i'm going to to houses where people are i'm going to suicide calls and um you know i'd watch my mom my mom tried to commit suicide in front of me when i was young um, I, I saw my mom in every mental health call that we went to. I saw that when I, when I saw myself in every overdose call I went to, I saw like, you know, I saw every drunk driving accident we went to. I saw me, you know, cause I'd gotten drunk driving accident. It was just like all these things were things that were so close to my life. And they were like showing, it was showing me, this is going to be you. This is going to be you smarten up or this is going to, you're going to, you're looking at yourself right now. You're yeah. looking at your own life. And uh, I couldn't handle it. I, and I, of course, those words that, that that man said to to us on the first day of work sat heavy with me and I didn't talk. So all I did is drink about it and use about it. Yeah. And I became like this antisocial, closeted drinker, 
drug abuser. Like, you know, I'd go out sometimes with friends, but like once everyone went home, I'd like black out all the windows and I'd go down in my basement and I'd like be shooting drugs and up like chain smoking and drinking and until, you know, until whatever day I had to go to work. And then I'd probably call in sick. Like I was abusing my sick time. I was, you know, all the privileges that I had, I was taking full, not full, I was taking advantage of all the wonderful things that were given to me with, you know, that come along with that job. Mm-hmm. I wasn't living up to, like, I was a terrible employee. I was a terrible um, partner. I was a terrible, like, I just, I wasn't living up to who um, I had hoped that I might become. Um, but you didn't think you were worthy of it. I know, but I thought, I, I thought a job, like, this is the way I thought. Like, yeah, maybe I'm not worthy of it, but this job might turn things around. Or, like, this move. that's the same thing when I thought about, like, moving to another yeah. continent will change things. It's like, no, you're still stuck with you, yeah. right? Like, I'm still, I'm still, I'm here with me. And so, you know, this, this external stuff isn't going to change anything. But, yeah. like, the hope was, or mm-hmm. my, my, my lack of, like, commitment or dedication to recovery, like, you know, it, the, the, the hope was that like I would just become that person because I was in that or, or I'd become somebody else because I went somewhere else, yeah. you know? And that, and, and I found that in like moments of despair, even in my own life, right. hope sometimes, <laughs> hope sometimes makes things worse because it's almost like, it's, it's like if I could just, if I could just know that this is as good as it gets, I can accept that. But the hope that things can be better is what makes things worse sometimes. For sure. So I, I can understand that. Yeah. So when you're, so now you're, you're in your dream job and, and you're so far into your self-loathing and you're so far into feeling like, you know, you're unworthy, undeserving, and you've just kind of, you attract the things that, that everybody wants, relationships, jobs, um, opportunities, but because there's so much chaos going on inside of you, you not only don't feel like you deserve it, but you do everything you can to sabotage it. Right. You take it for granted because th- there's some there's there's an element of, of of victimhood. You you feel real when you're traumatized. You feel like a victim, and victimhood tends to make us feel in some ways entitled. Mm-hmm. So you so nothing is ever good enough. You you're, you've become this bottomless pit, and nothing can fill you. When did you realize that this was the this was something you were gonna have to address. Like how how many other things did you have to lose before you got the message? Yeah, um, so I guess in the last three years of my drinking and using career, um, I, I, I tried to commit suicide three times because I, I, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know any other way out. I couldn't fix anything externally and I just, I, I just, I, 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 like you said, I mean, I, I became the self-loathing was so much that I, I just, that was the only escape. I felt like I needed to relieve the world of me, you know, yeah. not, not even that I needed to be relieved of the world. I, I needed the world to be relieved of me. Yeah. And, um, and so unsuccessfully, obviously three times. Um, and then I, I woke up one morning and, and I just going to paint a picture of like what my living condition was like. Like I said, every every window was 
those blackout blinds, the doors were all locked, the windows were all locked. Um, I took down all the mirrors in my house because I hated the sight of myself. I was going to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I had anything that I could see my reflection in, like if it was like an old TV or whatever, I'd turn it face to face the wall so I wouldn't catch a glimpse of myself. Like that's how much I hated me. Um, I was living, like I I basically, I mean, I I had this house, like I I owned a house, but... um, it was like in shambles and like I lived in the basement of this house because like, I don't know. I just felt like that was like, I was like, I don't know if I somehow like subconsciously wanted to be underground. Like it was almost this, like I wanted to be unknown and unseen and not, not thought of, not noticed. Mm And so I just, I was this basement dwelling drug addict and like, I'd, I'd have people drop things off and deliver things to me at my mailbox. And mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't even like have a transaction with a drug dealer. I'd like leave ma- leave money and here, drop this. Like, mm-hmm. um, and where was, where was mommy and daddy? Oh, I don't know. Like at this point, I, yeah. I don't know. Like I didn't really have much contact with them at that point. Dad was, did you care? Mm, no. I don't think so. No, I didn't care. No, for sure I didn't at that time. No. Yeah. But no, I for sure didn't. I I had um So the the time to answer your question. <laughs> uh, uh <clears throat> Yeah, short answer long, but like I I woke up on January 2nd uh 2011 and I I Nothing in particular was like, there wasn't anything that was going particularly wrong other than everything, mm-hmm. but that was a constant, yeah. right? Um, and, and I just, I woke up and I was like, no, this is it for me. I'm like, the, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it today. Like, I just chose that day as like, you know, and one thing that I, I realized is like, so it's the day after New Year's, right? The day, mm-hmm. the day after New Year's Day. Yeah. I went out on New Year's and I tried to get drunk. I tried to get high. And I ingested so much mm-hmm. alcohol, so much, uh, like the copious amounts. And I was stone sober. It was a really weird, like strange time in my life. Uh, like that, that it was normally so easy for me to just get out of my body. And, and but this, this time I, the, I couldn't get drunk. I couldn't get high. You couldn't run away from you. Yeah. So <laughs> well, I always describe it as like, yeah, my medicine stopped working. Yeah. Right. That was my medicine. It just stopped working. And I was like, well, fuck, like I can't escape. I can't run. I'm too weak to do any of that. Like I, I just, so my, I, my intention that morning was to off myself. And I sat in my garage and I, I was writing down a list of ways that I could kill myself. Um, I didn't want to be found by anybody else uh, because I'd been there and I've seen that at work and mm-hmm. I don't like I didn't want to harm anybody else in taking myself off the planet. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to go and not ever be thought of, seen of, you know. Um, and so I'm writing a list, like, you know, I, I live by Niagara Falls and like, you know, jump off the fall, like the, all these like ways that I could just kind of like disappear. disappear and yeah. yeah. And nobody would actually have to find my body and be hurt. Like yeah. I didn't want to hurt anybody anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, so this is like the, this, another one of these surreal moments that I'm writing this list and then I'm just all of a sudden hit with this super, um, heavy wave of like real emotion and like 
I'm getting like, I'm remembering, like I'm, I'm getting hit in like all my senses. Like I'm, I'm remembering things, I'm smelling things, I'm tasting things that were like, you know, and I'm, and all these things have to do with all these little times that I dipped into the rooms of recovery and been like, oh, I'm just doing this for this girl. I'm just doing this for work. I'm in trouble with the cops. I'm going to go like, you know, I'm, I'm just making it look good. Mm-hmm. All those things and, and all those little slogans I saw on the walls and the things, the things that I used to compare myself to and say like, no, I'm not one of you. It all just like hit me at once. And I remembered those smiling faces and the welcoming, warm welcome feeling in that room mm. and the, 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 the hands that wanted to shake my hand and not want anything back in return that were just like, you know, I remembered the, the conversation I had with the guy, Terry, that, that showed me, that introduced me to recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, Where it, was Terry, by the way, during this time? He had retired and moved out to um, Nova Scotia. Oh, too bad. Well, there's a story to that too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and at the time I was, so the story is I was getting tattooed by his son. He, yeah. he was, he was a tattoo artist and he was, he was tattooing me quite often and mm-hmm. we talk about his dad. So he was starting to be brought up in my life in like a weird way, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I don't know if it was all sort of foreshadowing this like Some change. Weird serendipity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and anyways, I just dropped the pen and I thought, I am exactly like all those people. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I can't do this on my own. They were right. I should have listened to them. I, 10 years I spent fighting this idea that, that, that they had told me. I was 32 at this point. I got introduced to, to recovery at 22. Mm-hmm. I, and I've been in and out of those rooms probably 50 times, like, you know, relapsed 50 times within that 10 years. Yeah. And um, all those things, like, it was almost like I had just learned all this stuff or accepted all this stuff through osmosis and through just being like part of seeing that world and using those rooms for my own advantage ended up being the reason why I just it clicked it just something happened and I was like I am that I need that I need those people yeah and um I dropped the pen I crumpled up the piece of paper I ended up burning it Mm -hmm. just because like I had to be dramatic I guess I don't know (laughs) and um well, and two, like, I mean, I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I was about to kill myself. Like, yeah. and like, again, like, and I, and I really wanted, yeah, I don't know. And, and my world changed then. I, I, I looked up the first meeting mm-hmm. and it, I, I went to this meeting, like shortly, maybe three or four hours after this. And, um, it's the same room that I'd always walked into. And, you know, I saw some of the same faces. Um, and I just, something was different though. And it was me. Yeah. You know, I went in with the different, different eyes, different ears, different heart. A little more humble, a little more yeah. open. Yeah. Like I was, I, there was no other word for it, but surrender. I yeah. had finally just said, I surrender. Show me. Yeah. Right. Um, so that the first person that went to shake my hand, I just, I grabbed onto his hand and I just didn't let go. Mm-hmm. And I broke down. I started crying. I did everything that wasn't, you know, quote unquote manly of me. And it felt so good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was able to like welcome be, to being a human being. Yeah. Well, I was allowed to be vulnerable. Yeah. And yeah. and safe in a safe space, right? And like so in true like selfish alcoholic uh fashion, I I made the whole meeting about me. But like, <laughs> you know, but these people were wonderful and they were good enough to to like they all could see how much I was hurting. They've seen me come in and out of these rooms for so long. 
I just bawled my eyes out and, t- and, and like, you know, told them everything that was going on. And, you know, uh, like hours ago, I was, I was ready to do what I was going to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just said like, I need all you people. I need you. I need you to show me how to live because I have no fucking clue. Mm-hmm. I can't do it by myself. You are all right. You know? Um, and, and, um, and I got exactly that. They all like just banded around me and said like, you know, uh, like, okay, here's my phone number. You call me tomorrow. I'll pick you up. I'll do this. I had like, you know, I had like 20 people mm-hmm. in my phone from just that one meeting. And they were all like, they were calling me. I was calling them. They were checking up on me. They were picking me up. They were bringing me for coffee. They were bringing me to meetings. They were bringing me to the detox. They were having me like, you know, um, you know, that was 12 step meeting. So like I had a sponsor, I got a home group. I was doing all the things I was being of service. I was like volunteering my time to do whatever it is that anybody, I was like, you know, started volunteering in a soup kitchen, started mm-hmm. doing like, I just thought I just had to give back to the to humanity, yeah. what I've taken. I got a tone. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, and it all felt really good. And I, I just like, so if I wasn't, um, if I wasn't at a meeting or with some of these like recovery people, I was either at work or I was at the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, I started boxing again. I started to like, um, I, you know, I picked up, uh, I had a counselor say to me like, what are your hobbies? And I was like, this is before I got sober or mm-hmm. this is as I was getting sober, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like, and I, I was like, well, I, I'm drawing a blank. You know, I, I drink and I do drugs and I think I do those things really well. <laughs> And, and he's like, oh, do you? Cause like, you know, you're an addict and yeah. like, you, you do it a lot, but you don't do it well. And, um, and so, uh, he said, he goes, think about what you did when you were a kid. Like what, what made you happy? And I was like, music made me happy. Skateboarding made me happy. Like, um, you know, like meeting people like, or, or like, uh, uh, I talked about like my imagination and stuff like that. All this stuff like that, that, that I remembered from childhood being like the good pieces. Yeah. And um, he's like, do more of that. He's like, it's okay to be a 32-year-old man and get lost in your own imagination. Yeah. Have fun with it. Go somewhere fun in your imagination. Like, do that stuff. P- buy a skateboard. Buy a guitar. Do the things. Like, who cares? Like, you, you deserve to live. Yeah. You deserve all this stuff. And I, I just did. So, and, and yeah, and boxing and all that stuff and, and, and going to the gym and kind of like, I mean, if I was emotionally healing and f- uh, and, and mentally healing, I kind of had to follow it with like physically healing as well. So, yeah. um, yeah, I just immersed myself in all of that stuff. And, um, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too long and I was starting to, to, to feel like, to feel really good again. And I started to go, like, I started to notice like family started to come, come back and start talking to me. And I started to, t- you know, I started telling people I, I, cause I cut off all my other friends until I paid everybody, I paid off all my debts. That was a good thing, you know. That's like always people. the best feeling when you the the, the money part. Yeah. When you when you when you always have to look at the people that you owe when you owe somebody money. There's always that weird feeling of oh fuck, I'm a, I'm yeah. a loser. Yeah. Like yeah. That I don't know what what that is, but that paying off a debt thing. Yeah. You always makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I um, yeah, it did, and it, and then it also solidified the fact that I don't need them in my life. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of, so family came back into my life. Some of my old friends came back into my life, like people that had written me off years and years ago. 
they just found their way back to me, mm-hmm. you know, or I found myself, I found my way to them, whatever, however it happened, it mm-hmm. just, it started to sync up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had to go, I was learning how to live from like basically the ground up again. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to work and take that same approach. Mm-hmm. So I went to work and I asked, you know, at that time I'm eight years on the job and I was asking guys that were still on probation, like as probationary firefighters in their first year, mm-hmm. Hey, can you like help me? can you help me relearn how to do these simple tasks that you guys are learning right now? Mm-hmm. I need your help. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I took that same like, Hey, I can't do anything on my own. I need the help. I need to enlist the help of others to, to grow. Um, and it was just working and I was starting to get like something I never had at work, which was a little bit of respect. Yeah. Um, I got some dignity. Yeah. I got some humility. Mm-hmm. I got some, like, I got just, you know, some, some strength and some, uh, confidence and, like things just, you know, I mean, it wasn't a cakewalk. I had to do the hard work. It was, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of soul searching and and self-discovery in this, uh, you know, in that, in that time, but Mm -hmm. you know, soon, sooner, sooner, responsibility and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. And, and like, and I, but I was learning how to live and it was exciting. And, and I, you know, sooner or later it was like, I, I was a year sober and then I was two years sober and then I was five. And then, you know, um, things are going really well. You know, I, of course I was like, different relationships and different, you know, things were happening, but it was generally positive things. I was, my life had come together and I was really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So like, you know, I, I met, I met my, my current fiance, mm-hmm. Joe, and you know, it was just uncanny. The, uh, you know, the similarities, like she had been sober and she's sober almost nine years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was into Muay Thai. I was into Muay Thai. Like, we're both sober. She's a tattoo. It's almost like you guys were waiting for each other. Yeah, totally. She was just <laughs> out of a relationship, like a bad bad rela- or bad marriage. I was just out of a terrible relationship. She was a tattoo artist. I had a little bit of room for more tattoos. <laughs> like, uh, you know, there was, there was like, just a lot. And, and our, um, our, stories, our stories really, really um, gelled together. And we she found recovery in a different way than I did. So I got to learn a different, uh, an alternative to a 12 step approach, which I I'm open to all, uh, like recovery avenues. Mm -hmm. Um, that is one thing that I, now that you've said it, I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was about you and Joe that I really, really liked. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost the, f- the fact that the two of you have been in recovery together, ha- or not together, have been uh, in recovery, but together for the past, what, nine, nine, eight, nine years? Together? Yeah. Her and I? Yeah. Three. Three, okay. Yeah. So the fact that you guys are doing this together, it, that's not what I find so amazing about you guys. I don't think about your past when I look at pictures of you. I think about your future. Mm. Yeah. There's something about they, they, your past doesn't really matter. I'm always wondering. I wonder, I never go, where have they been? I always, I'm looking at your pictures and I'm looking at your Instagram and I'm going, I wonder where they're going next. Mm-hmm. It never, I never think about your past. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's interesting because yeah. we write about it a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I, I never, I've never once looked at your pictures and been like, what have those two been through? I, I'm always wondering where you're going next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really good. Like, yeah. yeah. I never noticed that. <laughs> no, it's cool because um, a lot of what I write about is like, you know, trying to like spread a message of mm-hmm. hope and like it, I have to draw on some of my past to mm-hmm. paint that picture. And mm-hmm. so like if you're reading a message that is like talking about some some things in the past mm-hmm. and like, you know, 
but you're you're seeing the picture and you're and you're looking forward mm -hmm. it's like yeah you're it's a that's that's important to me because it's not like people are judging the past or whatever they're 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 looking at it in a positive way and like okay like what's next for these people and, yeah. and instead of like oh that sucks what happened to them or like oh but but they are still drug addicts or mm -hmm. they're or they're they were drug addicts or they're in recovery like it's mm -hmm. yeah that's important yeah. i like that yeah i um, i like the fact that the two of you like the captions on when you read them like the big long paragraphs and mm -hmm. you read them you listen to the stories about like what used to happen to you and all the experiences that you used to have yeah it's almost like it's almost like somebody at the finish line going, yeah, 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 that used to happen, but this is what what you can look forward. Yeah, to. totally. That's it. That's but, the message of hope, right? Yeah. Like that's the the that's the thing that I I so like social media. Like I'm 43. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I didn't grow up with a phone. I don't like a cell phone. Can I don't. Can you imagine how much worse life would be if you had grown up? Hey, with a phone? nobody had camera phones when I was like oh, fucked up. Shit. I'm so grateful. <laughs> but like, you know, but but now like the only the only thing I see for that like yeah, it's fun to look at pictures and it's a time killer every once in a while. But mm -hmm. like, something that I didn't have was somebody to show me that life exists outside of. And I talked about this a bit, right? It, life exists outside of uh, addiction. Yeah. So if if there's somebody out there that's like living a decent life that that i mean i think i think i live an exciting life i'm i'm really happy with everything i do and 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 if if it looks that way to somebody and they they say wow i'm struggling i'm just like what this this person i i can relate to the words this guy is saying mm -hmm. and but life doesn't have to be like this like you don't have to live that way mm -hmm. nobody ever said that to me until that guy terry yeah. you don't have to live like this yeah i just thought this is it right yeah, so, and usually when people are trying to trying to tell you that you don't have to live like this or you don't have to have these kinds of experiences, there's always an, a weird, almost judgmental undertone, or they're usually kind of floating on a lily pad above yeah. you, kind of talking down. You, you guys have achieved something that a lot of us don't really necessarily believe that we can achieve when it comes to relationships and it come and when it comes to kind of self development. You're actually able to look at yourself. You guys have actually looked at yourself. Most of us avoid ourselves. Right. And then to top it off, it's 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 an interesting thing when you realize that the relationship that you're in with the other person, the person that you're with is literally mirroring your ability to love yourself back to you. Yeah. So what is it like being in a relationship? And like, how do you, like the love that you're getting from her that's being mirrored back to you, are you 100% comfortable with it? Do you 100% understand that you deserve it now? Or is that still a work in progress for you? Um, most days I, I'm, I'm 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's taken some time. So both of us have, have also been uh, like, so we, we both um, have been diagnosed with PTSD mm -hmm. and, and everything. So we're, we're in treatment are separately as well. And, and um, so we're always working on ourselves and we're mm -hmm. always, uh, and we have the luxury of having like each other in under the same roof as well. So we can, you know, we, we do our separate counseling outside and then we have, we can bounce ideas off each other. It's, it's, it's great. But um if I didn't have that, if I didn't have that, I might not feel worthy of it. Mm -hmm. But um, she, I mean, it's hard not to feel worthy around her. Like mm -hmm. she makes it, she makes it, um, yeah, she just, she just, she, it's effortless. It's, or it's seemingly to me effortless on her part that she just, she, she exudes this like, this care and love and compassion that, that I don't see often from others or yeah. I don't feel often from others. Um, and, and it's, 
Yeah, she makes me feel like it's cheesy and, and and but it's very true. Like she just she makes me feel like I'm the only one that matters to her, you know. And 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 I, you know, and of course her son as well. Yes. But like, <laughs> but like when we're together, it's like I, you know, yeah. It's just it, I I I I I do. I wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe that I'm worthy of her love. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're planning on getting married next month and. Congrats, uh, thank congrats. you. <laughs> but like, you know, that to me is a big, big, a big thing. Like I never thought I, I never thought I would be, I th- never thought I would be saying that, like, I never thought I'd be proposing to somebody. I never thought that I would be worthy of spending a lifetime with somebody. And, and, but I, this I'm ready for, I feel like it's, 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 uh, it's very real and mm-hmm. very, um, um, yeah, we both still struggle. We both, uh, you know, of course, we're we're constantly. We'll never stop working on ourselves, mm-hmm. together and separately. But um, yeah, it's just it really just it works with us. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. if there's one thing I can give you credit for, it's that you did something that not a lot of people are willing to do when they're looking to get into a relationship. You showed up to her as the better version of yourself or the best version you could be. You admit that you have things that you have to work on, and you're working on yourself for yourself, for her, for your family. Yeah. And then on top of that, you actually made a conscious effort to be like honest with yourself about what you need. And because you're honest with yourself about what you need, it makes it easier for her to give you what you need and for her to love you. Right. This is healthy masculinity. Yeah. This is what we, this is the kind of thing that. You know, you're still your own sovereign individual. You're still your own person. But because you're able to articulate your needs after years of kind of shutting it down, mm-hmm. you expressing them has got has brought love into your life in such a healthy way that you literally have found. I don't even know how the two of you are ever going to separate because like the two of you literally look like. Yeah. Like, like there's just there's there's just an energetic match that you can feel between the two of you. Yeah. That's just. You can't fake that. Yeah. Yeah. So for like, sure. that's cool. But well, Chris, thank you so much for coming. This was absolutely amazing. You. Yeah. And the tattoo shop, just shout it out for us. Oh, it's uh, at Bond Street Tattoo. That's um, yeah, it's a, a tattoo shop that um, my fiance Joe uh, is the one of the tattooers there, and we own it together. And uh, it's in St. Catharines, Ontario. Yeah, I yeah. intend to come there to get some ink at some for point. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for for, ha- for thank you so much for coming, Chris. Yeah. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, this is Sarah versus everybody, and we will see you next time. Bye bye.